So the earth has been salted. Hi, my name is uh, Mr. Echo, and I eat dirt. Hi, Mr. Echo. We're here at Dirt Eaters Anonymous. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that it's okay that you eat dirt. Hello, and welcome to Our Lost Podcast, brought to you by the Aficionados Podcast Network. My name is Robin Jeffrey. I'm a 24-year-old actor and drama instructor. I like brooding anti-heroes, feminist agendas, and I have way too much knowledge regarding details that no one else remembers. I run at the 100 script on Twitter. You can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey pretty much everywhere. The fun fact for this episode is going to be about our most recent dream that we can remember, but I have a feeling those are those stories are going to take uh, some yeah. time. So we're going to do that after we introduce ourselves. And my name is Brittany Ray. I'm a 30-year-old journalist from beautiful post-apocalyptic Vancouver, BC. I like badass moms and long naps. I'm on Twitter at Britannia, where I can be found attempting to be interesting and talking about my cat. And this episode, our guest is Casey! Casey! I was mouthing your entire intro along with you, just so you know. The real stand. We should have just had her, like, do the whole thing for us. We would, I'd like, I would like to see it. Do it. Right now. Do right it. now? Yep. <laughs> Leave her alone. And don't look, and don't look at the dock. Leave her alone. Wait, there's a dock? Should I have a dock open? <laughs> She's oh my god, You didn't send me the document, Robin! <laughs> Um, you've been on the podcast before, Casey. You have the doc. It's the same doc? Well, I'm not, okay, I'm not even gonna open it. Hello, and welcome to Our Lost Podcast, brought to you by the Aficionados Podcast Network. My name is Robin Jeffrey. I'm a 24-year-old actor and drama instructor. I like brooding anti-heroes, feminist agendas, and I have way too much knowledge regarding details that no one else remembers. I run at the Hunter Script on Twitter, or you can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey, pretty much everywhere. What in the hell? Keep going. <laughs> And my name is Brittany Ray. I'm a 30-year-old lady. She's 30, everyone. Stop! <laughs> I'm a 30-year-old journalist from beautiful post-apocalyptic Vancouver, BC. Also, I've been thinking, do the, like, lost people know why you say you're from post-apocalyptic Vancouver, BC? No, and I think about that all the time. Oh, okay. Sometimes yeah. I think about it. I like badass moms and long naps. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yep. Well, I lost where I was because I got out of sync. But I suppose it's long enough. You can follow me at Britannia where I can be found attempting to be interesting and talking about my cat. It's true. That's, you can. Yeah. Nailed it. Mm-hmm. All right. Now do yours. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> I forgot to uh, write something about me. Um, Hi, I'm Casey. I'm 22. Uh, but by the time this comes out, I'll be almost 23. Woohoo! I'm really excited to be one of the lost numbers years old. I live in Rhode Island and I do a bunch of odd jobs. Um, One of those jobs is making fandom inspired candles. So shameless self promo, go buy yourself a lost candle because it smells really good. Uh, You genuinely should because we have the Star Wars one burning in the kitchen right now and it smells just incredible. Thanks. Oh, it's Sunlight and Hoth actually, so it's relevant. Yeah. It's true. Uh, not relevant to the people who are not spoilers. But otherwise, well, you know what, though? If you looked up episode names, yeah. that, like, it's okay to know that one of the episodes is called Some Like It Off. There you go. There you go. Uh-huh. And, and, and people ha- comment on Casey and they say, wow, Casey, that was a genius pun. And Casey's like, thanks. And I'm like, yes, thank you so much. I did think about it myself. Um, I, I take all the credit for this name. Good. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, Robin sent me a doc. Mm-hmm, there you go. Anyway, so Casey has a candle company it's called lost and found candle co and you should follow them on twitter and on instagram and then you should order stuff because they're amazing and so thoughtfully packaged and you get stickers it's true and true terrible business cards i really need to get myself some better business cards but until then you could just use it to like i don't know write random notes on or 
I don't know. Draw a straight line. There's like a bunch of good business card sites. Really? Yeah. I'll have to look into them. I see them advertised on um, Instagram all the time. We got ours from Vistaprint. Vistaprint. Yeah, and they do metallic printing. Yeah. <gasps> I want metallic. Yeah, it's pretty dope, actually. I love metallic. Yeah. So, Casey, we have had you on the podcast before. In fact, we had you for the season two mid-season finale, but at the time, you had only seen to the end of season three. Correct. So now that you're finished, who are some of your favorite characters? Oh my god, I am so glad you asked. Kate and Juliet and Sawyer as, uh, I think, yeah, as I'm pretty sure I proclaimed last time I was on, um, I was like a hardcore skate shipper, still am, but Mm -hmm. um, I have now seen the light that is Suliet, um, though I have to say Mm. that my ultimate ship is Schooliet the trio of <laughs> Sawyer, Kate, and Juliet. That's um, beautiful. Literally the best characters in all of history. Um, I love literally everyone except Anthony Cooper. Uh, that's mm, pretty much yeah. it. I love everyone. That's justified. Yeah, that's great. And uh, I know this is a big question, but what does lost mean to you? Huh. Um, I'm pretty much going <laughs> to stick with my answer from last time. Because, uh, I don't know, I, I put it together a lot more eloquently than I thought I would be able to. Um, so go listen to that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but like Robin said, like I finished, I have since finished the series and now I'm on season three of my rewatch and it's just such an enjoyable ride. I just love it so much. I love the characters. Um, I love the plots. I find something new in every single episode, you know, and it's just like, it's just, such thoughtful television and i don't know there's not a lot of uh shows out there that make me like think and feel the way this show does like it the show is very cinematic in like the sense that it feels much more like a series of mini movies than it does like Mm -hmm. episodes of television and like that's just so special and i think like i don't know especially like in the age of streaming and stuff like like you're used to watching things like so quickly and i think lost is just like a long 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 beautiful ride and i don't know i think kind of thinking about like if it was created today like say if it was like a netflix original i think it would be a lot different and it would be a lot different to watch so i don't know i think we think about it differently too yeah like everything would be different yeah yeah it's like would we have more queer representation totally 100% we would mm-hmm. but, but would we still but like what would it? We, yeah and what would we lose yeah yeah like what parts of it are so intrinsic to like the early 2000s and so like you can attribute things to it and what parts of it would transfer to now and you'd be like oh I don't like this actually yeah yeah I think you know? there would be a lot to be gained from it uh airing now like socially and politically but I think there is also a lot that we would lose like not having it like on a network or having the same like kind of limitations back then that lost often like surpassed for its time you know yeah so i don't know and discussions around it too oh yeah like social media like we were just starting to get into like the twitter thing when lost was like like ending Mm -hmm. can you imagine what the discussions would be like like you see what like the star wars fandom has done imagine what it would be like now well you get worried because now there are there's more pandering going on i would say and you know we saw it with westworld in which a lot of people guessed like one of their twists and so they changed it yeah and of course then you get okay so now a lot of the foreshadowing that you had for this one twist doesn't make sense and 
you know, such and such. And so I was like, I wouldn't want Damon and Carlton, even if, if we would even have Damon and Carlton mm. uh, doing this. But then you see Damon's success with Watchmen, which is... I, oh, which, massive success. And with The yeah. Leftovers, too. Yeah, which I haven't seen because I don't have HBO. But um, I've heard such good things about it. Everybody loves it. So I'm not worried about Damon. I'm just worried if we would have Damon. Yeah. You know, because Damon, like, this was the beginning of Damon's career. Mm-hmm. And if if Damon had already had a career at this point, I doubt that he'd come on to like this brand new show. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, probably. Why did I start talking about this? I don't even know. Don't know. <laughs> it's an interesting discussion, yeah. though. Like, I always think about what would happen if we watched Lost now mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what the phenomenon would be around it. Right. And it would probably honestly buckle under, uh, like under the weight of its own popularity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, next thing for the guest intro is your social medias, but I think you got, you you did those, right? Um, Yeah, Brit, uh, Brit shouted me out for um, my candle company. Um, go follow us, Lost and Found Candle Co. Um, pretty much everywhere. Just kidding, it's different everywhere. Um, <laughs> uh, but you can follow me um, at Casey Wall pretty much everywhere. And I'm always talking about myself and my candles. So you can go find my candles through me thanks so much i feel like there was another one. Oh, what hogwarts house are you in <sighs> i don't know the saga continues <laughs> i thought i was a hufflepuff i've been told i'm a hufflepuff all my life mm-hmm. and i did this heckin hogwarts house bingo on twitter yeah discovered i have a lot more ravenclaw traits than i ever knew possible and according mm-hmm. to the hogwarts house bingo i am more ravenclaw than i am hufflepuff so now i'm just having like an identity crisis i'm really not sure but mm. i i kind of like um being like part ravenclaw it um i i think ravenpuff Raven puff. A raven puff. I think I think I may perhaps be a raven puff. I love that. Or for a, you. a a huffle huffle claw. No, no, raven puff. All right, let's talk about dreams. Oh, okay. Brittany, your most recent dream. Um, so at, or your most recent dream that you can remember. Sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, I remember a lot of my dreams, mm-hmm. and sometimes the mood of them actually stays with me for like days afterward, mm-hmm. and it like depresses me. Um, so that's fun. So what I'm gonna do is tell the story of my recurring dream. Okay. So I have two. Mm-hmm. One, all my teeth fell out. Could not tell you why. Uh, doesn't that mean something? That means like a like a change is coming or something, or you're scared. Yeah, it's something like I've, that. Yeah, I've looked it up and it means that I'm afraid of having a loss of control. Same thing. And I'm like, tell me something I don't know. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my second one, or the one that I have now, like I had another one when I was little that involved a giant wave chasing me. Mm. This one is. I like- had something similar, except mine happened at the West Edmonton Mall water park, and then there was like a, mo- a sea monster. What? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I a think sea my monster dad at the water park. Oh no! Oh, yeah, I no. cried. Yeah, I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is that I go to high school and I don't know my schedule, and it's the first day of school, and I don't know if it's day A or day B, and mm-hmm. I can't find my schedule no matter where I look. I also don't know where my locker is and my high school is actually um a hybrid of my high school and my elementary school so i don't know where i'm going at any given time mm. <coughs> i just thought i died for no reason cool <coughs> and it usually ends with me <coughs> yo Coughing. i'm not good right now imagine if britney were to drink? die on the podcast uh let's not imagine that yeah, yeah please. that'd be a bummer you would wouldn't it thank you mm-hmm. anyway it usually ends up with me getting to class and i sit down and the class is in another language oh but i don't understand <laughs> And I hate this dream so much and I have it all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's my stress dream. Yeah. Yeah. I have a similar, like, I, like, as for stress dreams, I have something similar, except it's like, I, I mean, everyone knows this. I went to theater school. And so like, I have. You did? 
I know. <laughs> this is brand new information. I know. And so I have stress dreams in which they're like, you need to get on stage, get on stage. And I get on there and I'm like, I don't know what my lines are, what character I'm playing, or even what play I'm doing. Oh my God. And I'm just standing up there and they're all looking at me like, hey, so you're done. done. And I'm like, I want to die. <laughs> so anyway, that's my stress dream. But the question is, what is the most recent dream you remember? Yes. I feel like I always... I remember my dreams as soon as I wake up. Same. And if I need to talk about them, then I will talk about them. Mm -hmm. But like after that day goes, like they're gone. Yeah. You know, but I did text Casey about one recently mm -hmm. because she was in it. Um, so I question was I in it almost certainly because it was like that group of people. Okay. But good. I don't, but you weren't okay. like a featured player. Uh, if that's that makes fair. Sense. I, my feelings are going to be hurt if I wasn't in it, but I understand. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I looked back in my texts to make sure that I got all the details. Mm -hmm. Right. And of course it's a dream. It doesn't make any sense, but you know, we can't all have Island dreams in which they, everything means something. Yeah. You know, but basically what happened was, uh, all of us who are like our unity days cohorts, mm -hmm. we all went swimming and at first it was a swimming pool, Okay, but it like became just sort of like a hall in which like a lot of people were just kind of there. You okay. Know? Like this is, and then it eventually became a jewelry store as well. It doesn't really make sense. Anyway, oh, so we're all just hanging out and it turns out that there was a reunion of my high school somewhere. And I, I guess I just didn't go or whatever, but they were all like, well, we all have all this time off. Let's uh, go on vacation. And so they all came to Vancouver. And so people from my graduating class are just like streaming into this hall. And I'm not like worried or anything. I'm just kind of like, oh, weird. Okay. So, you know, I'm like chatting and everything thing and you know just like yeah, talking with people yeah. but then I'm also like but I'm supposed to be hanging out with my friends because like I don't get to see them very often so I should probably go hang out with them and so I'm like split in between these things and so Casey leaves She's like, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm going. I don't know why, but she's like, I'm, I'm out of here. She's tired. Yeah. And so here's the thing. I've been watching a, a lot of uh, TikToks and on TikTok, people have started like going to like college with people that we grew up watching on TV. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like child stars who we watched on Nickelodeon are now like going to college and people are like going yeah. to college with them and making videos of them. So this person in particular was a character on iCarly of the name... Um, Gibby. Okay. So his name's Gibby on iCarly. I don't know what his actual actor's name is, but the character's name is Gibby. And I re and for some reason, even though I know it's like my high school or whatever, Gibby is also here. It's just like a sure, 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 like sure. It's just a large group of people that I know, and also Gibby is here. And so I text Casey. I'm like, Casey, where did you go? Gibby is here. <laughs> And so Casey's like trying to get in, but by now it's turned into a jewelry store and it's like locked down. So the people who are inside are the only people who are inside. And there, there, so there are people who are trying to get into the jewelry store, including Casey, who just wants to see Gibby. <laughs> And I was like, I was like, how do I let these people in? And I realized I could just open the door. So I just opened the door. Um, but then my alarm went off and I was like, Casey didn't even get to see Gibby. That's so upsetting. Ugh. It was upsetting. Did you try going straight back to sleep to see if you could make it happen again? No, because I had to go to work. <sighs> I'm so sorry. That's tragic. So that was my, that's my most recent dream that I remember. Not sure what any of it means, but if you know anything about dreams, <laughs> <laughs> let me know. Let me know what, what about Gibby. Yeah, let me know what Gibby, <laughs> Gibby means. <laughs> yeah. So Casey, what's your, uh, what's your dream that you would like to speak about uh so i'm really bad at remembering dreams like i can usually remember them right when i wake up but like within five minutes after they're totally gone 
Um, I was gonna talk about like one of my recurring dreams from when I was younger, um, mm-hmm. when I could fly. But actually, you guys talking about your dreams reminded me that I have a much more prominent recurring dream, which is very similar to yours. Wherein, um, so like I grew up dancing, like I danced for ten years, and I have a lot of dreams about getting on stage and not knowing the choreography. Yeah. Um, and it's terrifying. I wake up in a sweat every single mm-hmm. time. It's disgusting. Why do brains do this? I yeah. don't know. It's terrifying. It's always like relevant to your life though, which I think is really interesting. Like if I- Oh, that's interesting. Like my stage one, it's like before I even get out on stage, they're like, you need to be on stage and I can't get my tights on. I don't know why I'm wearing tights, <laughs> but like, you know how when you wear, when you put on tights, it's like, you don't know which side is the front and which oh, side yeah, is the yeah, back. Yeah. And every time I put them on, it would be, they would be backwards. And so I would take them off and turn them around and put my tights back on because it takes forever to put on yes. tights. And and they would always be backwards. And so it takes me forever to get on my tights so I can even get out on stage for a play that I don't know anything about. <laughs> How odd. Yeah. Clearly, if you're putting on tights, you're going to be Peter Pan. So think about know. that the next time you have that dream. Like, who's to say, right? Who's to say? Yeah. Cool. What a weird dream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait just one second. I have a really important announcement. So you guys might remember Joe Garfine from Cancer Gets Lost. You would remember her. She was in all three parts of our season one finale podcast. And she's also going to be joining us for the second half of the season two finale. Um, So we'll definitely be having her back. But she has a charity called Cancer Gets Lost. Um, And I'm sure if you went back to listen to her episodes, you would hear her talk all about it. Um, But there is actually an auction going on. The day this comes out, it's actually coming out tomorrow. So it's pretty exciting. It's an auction that is of just lost memorabilia, whether it be like actual props from the show or things signed by the cast or even just like prints of art about the show. And it's opening tomorrow. So that's February 8th to 15th, 2020. Um, And it's going to be pretty amazing. I'm already signed up. I already have all my bookmarks. You know me. But yeah, it should be really cool. She's done lots of different auctions for um, Cancer Gets Lost, including a lot of of memorabilia from other shows but this one is just lost so that's pretty cool um and the proceeds go to the leukemia and lymphoma society so you know that it's going to the right place and yeah i guess that's it all you really have to do is press the link in the description and sign up for the auction i am really exciting really hoping that i can get the i heart shih tzu's shirt signed by jorge that i have been waiting for every single auction i want that but it always goes too high maybe this year maybe this year um but yeah enjoy the episode i think you'll really enjoy it bye today we have words to say about episode 221 of lost question mark so obviously it's named for the question mark on the blast door map um but i also have some more thoughts on it um when we talk about who directed this episode oh exciting so the broadcast date for this episode was may 10th 2006 it was written by damon lindelof and carlton cues our boys and it was directed by darren serafian it's his only lost ep but he has directed a bunch of episodes of csi oh really oh. early csi or later csi i don't know would you like me to look yes Okay. Very important to my happiness. Now they're not telling me that he does CSI? Oh, he did House. Fringe. On Lostpedia, it said that he did CSI. One sec. Before working on Lost, he directed several episodes of CSI Miami, CSI Crime Scene Investigation, CSI New York, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Fantasy Island. Hmm. That makes sense. There were lots of shots like that in CSI. He's the son of Richard C. Serafian, director of Vanishing Point. I don't know that movie. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Darren. But there's another fun fact about this. What is it? That was on Lostpedia. It says, during the early part of Lost Season 2, there were news 
articles that film director Darren Aronofsky would direct an upcoming episode of the season. This episode with its dreamy, surreal qualities perfectly suited to Aronofsky's distinct hypnotic style was the episode... What? What the heck kind of grammar is this? <laughs> Either way, this episode was written for him because of like his distinct hypnotic style. Okay. Whatever. Damon Lindelof has called the episode title an ode to Aronofsky in his similarly titled movie, Pie. But it's just like the pie symbol. Oh, why not this is called, pie. Okay. Yeah, this is why the episode is called question mark, but it's not question mark. It's like the symbol of the question mark. Gotcha. Uh, he would later pull out of the gig due to having just become a father. Okay, that's a good reason not to. So then we got Darren. And Darren did a good job anyway. He did great. And yeah, you, you just swap one Darren with another. Yeah. Uh, and then next, there were a whole lot of fun facts about this episode on Lostpedia. Um, so I will now talk about them. Okay. Usually I'll look through the Lostpedia page and if there's a thing that's like relevant to an actual plot point, then I'll talk about it at that point. Okay. But this is just kind of like episode generally type stuff. Okay. This is the sixth extended episode of Lost. Ran five minutes longer than the standard one hour episodes of Lost. Other episodes that were extended were the other 48 days, what Kate did, the long con, maternity leave, Dave, and then two episodes in season five as well. So just a lot of season two episodes yeah. were extended. And I'm not really sure why. <laughs> yeah. Of like of all the seasons to extend to. <laughs> uh, a majority of the events from this episode, including Libby's death, take place on Thanksgiving day, uh, Thursday, November 25th, 2004. Oh, Oh, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. That's sad. This this episode marks the first time in the series where one of the crash survivors refers to the hatch by its true name, which is the swan, when Echo asks Locke about the orientation of his map. Because they usually just call it the hatch. I had oh. no idea. But now, since they've got more ha more hatches, like the staff and the pearl, the yeah. now they have to start calling it the swan. Although she is still listed for the rest of the season, Michelle Rodriguez makes her final appearance as a main credited cast member. Sad. Yeah, watch me cry. Thanks so much. Uh, this is the only Echo-centric episode in which the flashback scenes are not shot with a yellow tinted lens. It's because the scenes take place in Australia, not Nigeria. <gasps> Duh. Mm -hmm. Makes okay. sense. Uh, and then lastly, during this episode, a brief commercial for the fictional Hanso Foundation aired amidst the normal ad advertisements in which the web address subliminal.com, which was part of the Lost Experience. Because, you know, it's the beginning of the, like, doing internet stuff like this. And so the Lost Experience was massive. And I wish that I had been around yeah. for it because... Ugh, gosh. That is so heckin' cool. Every time I read anything about it, I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've like, ever Like, I kind of vaguely remember stuff like this mm -hmm. happening, but, like, not enough. Right. So before we do the recap and summary of the episode, we had a thoughts from listeners because we were talking last episode about what the heck was Saeed digging? You remember oh, this? yeah! Yeah! Just a hole. Just a, like, a little hole. Our friend King's Token, uh, who's at King's Token on yes, Twitter yes, and yes, a yes. lot of other places, um, gave us a suggestion that potentially Essentially, it's a fire pit. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that's true or not, oh. but that's much better than the <laughs> I thought it was a poop hole. So, <laughs> oh my um, god. Yeah, we went some places on that last episode, huh? <laughs> so, um, yeah, fire pit makes more sense. <laughs> clown shoes squeaking. <laughs> so now we're going to do the summary of the episode. Brittany wrote the summary and she is going to try and do it in less than a minute, but either way, I'm going to speed her up because um, it's funny. Thanks, jerk. Count me in. Three, two, one, go. Echo has a dream that dead Ana Lucia and his brother Yemi want him to help Locke and take him to the question mark. Also, bring an axe. That's normal. Jack, Sawyer, Kate, and Locke discover Michael, Ana Lucia, and Libby all shot in the hatch by Henry, apparently. Anna is dead. Jack wants to go after Henry, but Sawyer reminds him that he's a doctor? Echo takes John on a spiritual journey instead of hunting down Henry. Echo knocks him out to force him to give him the map he made, which, like, surprisingly works. They argue over going to the question mark and end up finding Yemi's plane. 
Michael wants to know if Libby is going to rat him out for shooting her, but she's kind of busy dying. Jack sends Sawyer for heroin and uses that as leverage to also find out where the guns are. Classy! Sawyer and Kate dig the guns out from his tent and run into Hurley, who doesn't know about Libby. Sad. Locke has a dream that he's Echo and climbs a cliff to see Yemi at the top. He falls and wakes up and then they just do the whole thing over again in real life. He discovers that the plane is lying over the question mark. They dig out the hatch and discover a surveillance station that watches the other stations. They watch an orientation tape that explains Locke's beloved button is actually just a psychological experiment. Locke loses faith for a hot second, but Echo tells him that his own miraculous story about finding Yemi on the island and Locke believes again. In the hatch, Libby tries to tell everyone that Michael shot her but dies before they understand. In the flashbacks, Mr. Echo poses as a priest and tries to get a forged Australian passport so he can go to the States. A real priest tells Echo that his trip is delayed because he needs to check out like this crazy miracle. A woman woke up during her own autopsy. However, her father tells Echo that it wasn't a miracle and there was a scientific explanation for her coming back from the dead and his wife is just a religious zealot and he, she's just really mad at him because he's a fake psychic. Normal marriage problems. Echo reports that it wasn't a miracle. However, the resurrected woman tracks him down at the airport and tells him that Yemi talked to her while she was between worlds and that he believes Echo is a good man. Wow. That was like really long. Closer to two minutes, but I respect you. Cool. Well, I wanted to put a lot of detail in there. Mm. Thanks. I love that for you. Thank you. Cool. So the first storyline that we are going to do is the stuff that happens in the hatch. Um, I also included that like beginning part in which Echo's like, me and John will go. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, here is the beginning scene for that storyline. Jack, Sawyer, Kate, and Locke are heading back to the hatch, yelling at Locke for not telling them about Henry attacking Anna. Michael stumbles from the hatch with a hole in his shoulder. He tells them that Henry escaped, shot him, and killed Anna and Libby. Sure, sure. So first of all, they're angry with Locke for not telling Jack about Henry attacking Anna. And you know what? Locke is upset with himself already. Yeah. You know? But I mean, like, they're justified in needing to get that anger out. Yeah. But Kate says that she's with Locke. Hmm. Like, she's like, She's like, I would have done the same thing. But, so Jack's like, wait, let me figure out what the heck I'm talking about. Because <laughs> okay, I think, I was like, I was like, wait, I made a funny... Like, this was supposed to be funny, and now I don't remember what. <laughs> yeah, okay, Jack, leave him alone. Okay, yeah. So, okay, I figured I figured out what I meant. Proud of you. This is a really interesting dynamic that the four of them have, because, okay, so Jack is mean to Locke. Yes. Kate says, stop being mean to Locke. Sawyer says, no, Jack, you should be mean to Locke. And Jack is then mean to Sawyer, even though Sawyer is on his side. Because if Jack has any opportunity to mean to Sawyer, he will take it. Yeah, so Jack's upset, but then Sawyer's also upset, so then Jack is upset with Sawyer. They're all such children. <laughs> they're, they're children and also, like, low-key, it's kind of a rom-com. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Sawyer calls Henry the artist formerly known as Henry Gale, which is a Prince reference. Mm -hmm. And uh, we appreciate Sawyer for this, this sort of thing. Yeah. And so Michael shows up and he's like, oh my god, Henry shot me. Which is just hurtful, you know? But like, everyone else has no reason to think that that's not the truth. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like, you're supposed to trust Michael. He's he's one of them. Mm -hmm. And next episode is all about Michael and... Because we're all sitting here the whole time, at the end of last episode and this full episode, being like, Michael, what the heck? Yep. Like, what? Like, it makes no sense to us until next episode when it's all explained, you know? He's like, why did you lie about all of these things? It's so, so jarring, like, mm -hmm. seeing him act out like that and you have no idea why. It's so yeah. disorienting and crazy. It makes it hard to be on his side for, like, I would say probably the rest of the show mm -hmm. oh totally like the way he behaves here kind of like informs the rest of how people like perceive him yeah oh yeah last time that you were on the pod casey you were here with kim and kim is i wouldn't even call her a michael apologist because she wouldn't consider herself that because she doesn't think that michael needs to mm -hmm. apologize yeah uh, which is totally her own thing, and I respect the heck out of it. Because, oh, like yeah. she loves Michael, 
And um, I can't wait to have her on to talk a little bit more about him because um, yeah. this is like most people's turning point for Michael. I agree. Where yep. it's like he's irredeemable. But um, Kim disagrees and I really love her opinions on that. I think they're really interesting. Totally. So Echo shows up and of course he just had a vision of the hatch. So he came here. Yeah. Immediately, right? Makes sense. Um, so the next scene, they all enter, they all enter the hatch, including Echo who just showed up. Kate confirms that Anna is dead, but Sawyer gets a face full of blood when Libby coughs on him, obviously still alive. Echo prays for Anna's soul. So Kate checks Anna, Sawyer checks Libby. I guess Kate just sees Anna first. Yeah. That's why she runs over Mm -hmm. there. Libby's not dead. She spits on Sawyer. What triggered her to choke? That's what I was wondering. She kind of just did it. Like, it just uh, happened at the perfect, like, narrative time. Like, it's the most dramatic time for it to happen. But I wonder, I wonder, like, what triggers that? I'm wondering if, like, maybe it was the way she was lying down, perhaps. And, like, the blood was, like, I don't like, pooling in the back of her throat, kind of. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. It kind of reminded me of, like, uh, when someone, like, binge drinks, you're supposed to turn them on their side so they don't, like, throw up in their sleep or whatever. So, like, I don't know. I kind of wonder if it's something like that. That makes sense. Because it feels to us like it has been a very long time, Mm -hmm. but... Michael even says, like, quite a few scenes later, he says it's been about a half an hour. Yeah. And when he walks out there, it's it's like he just did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And they find him just as he, like, just did it. So it makes sense that, like, we go down there and we're like, whoa, she, it's like she hasn't been breathing for, like, a, full, like a few minutes. Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's probably only been, like, two minutes, maybe, that she's... Or... Literally, shot. if that... Or I kind of wonder if maybe there was, like, um, like some other force, perhaps, you could say, mm. that, like, needed her to, like, be revived for however long she lasted for certain reasons. I don't know. Like what reasons? Um, I don't know. Maybe to, like... Uh, shift Michael's story or put him into a position that would like decide the rest of his story like is he gonna tell Mm -hmm. him all the truth or not now that he knows Libby might survive or she might not right yeah right interesting I don't know yeah I I wasn't with you for a second there I was like nothing really (laughs) changes because she's alive you know Mm -hmm. like it's really just for drama but Mm -hmm. I like I like the idea I'm with you now that like this was an opportunity for Michael to come clean and tell the truth and he didn't Mm -hmm. yeah I don't even know if I think that but that it's possible (laughs) but also makes me really sad because it's just another reason that Libby died for a male character yeah oh Libby is so tragic not Libby herself well yeah you know Libby. Her whole story, yeah. Mm. Libby, her whole story, everything about her, it's so tragic. And like, ugh. I mean, like, she was fridged. There's really no way around totally, it. Totally. Totally. It was such a bummer. And like, I was sad when she died, but I was like more sad like that she died and that like I didn't know more about her and I didn't have like more about her to care about really. Like, they yep. never developed her. Like, her actually dying was less sad than, like, Hurley being there by her side while it happened. Like, totally. Her death was sad because Hurley was there and, like, because she mattered to Hurley, you know? And I wish, right. like, I wish it would have been sad because, like, she was a great character and she had all these different kind of traits and she affected characters this way. But I don't know. She was just kind of, her Her whole character was just kind of wasted on the men around her. Exactly. Mm-hmm. She was a prop for I mean, everyone not- else. Not wasted, but yeah, they were a prop. She was a prop, exactly. So we also have this moment with Echo and Anna, and he prays for her. I kind of expected, and like Locke even does too later, he says like, um, didn't like two of your, 
like BFFs just die? Like, why aren't you there? I kind of expected more when Echo first came in. Like, he was helping Michael through, but like also, you know, he spent 48 days alone with these two women. And I don't know, I kind of feel like I expected more. But he's, he's a very stoic character, mm-hmm. so... I don't know how I feel. What do you guys think? I can kind of see that. I think I think the way they uh, depicted his relationship with Anna in this episode was pretty good for me personally. Like, I think it means a lot that he dreamed about her and, like, he had a dream that she died before he even knew that, like, she was in trouble, you know? I think that kind mm-hmm. of drove home their connection and right. the scene where he's just, like, kind of tenderly laying her to rest. I thought that was really beautiful and important. But I do kind of agree that there could have been more there considering how much they meant to each other and how strong their relationship was. Yeah, I... I, I don't think I even considered the fact that he knew walking into that hatch that she was going to be dead. Yeah, or even if he didn't know that she was dead, he, like, knew that she was injured or something. Like, he just knew the second he woke up from that dream that he needed to... Actually, you know what? Now that I'm saying that, no. What drove him to the hatch was to find Locke. Yeah. Not yeah, and, and because Yemi told, told him to, to do that. Like, like, Anna said, you need to help John. Interesting. And... Yeah. Now I'm more upset about this. I had another thought, but I think I lost it. You lost it? (laughs) (laughs) What was I gonna say? I don't know. It's gone. Okay. Great. Moving on. Um, uh, Jack and Kate discuss what they can do for Libby, which isn't much. Jack asks Michael about some specifics. Henry left about 20 minutes ago. Jack wants to go get him, but Sawyer convinces him otherwise. Echo volunteers to go and Volan tells Locke that he's coming with. (laughs) Volan tells. They proceed to not look for Henry. (laughs) So, can they do anything for Libby? She's in shock right yeah, now. there's nothing to be done. There's yeah. not really a lot. Like, Jack could probably save her if he had the right equipment yep. and tools. Like, Jack, I believe in Jack as a doctor. Truly. Yeah. I actually yeah. genuinely do. Yeah. But unfortunately, he just doesn't have the tools to do anything. And you know that that messes him up inside. And you can even see it, even though I don't know how much I support Jack this episode, especially due to what he does um, with with Sawyer. Yeah. Um, But you really can see that um, it really shakes him up, especially because as a doctor, he's used to, if something bad happens and something wrong happens, like Christian has said to him, like sometimes you have to, you have to take off your gloves and you have to go home and you have to have dinner with your family and that's what you signed up for as a doctor but jack knowing that if he had the equipment he probably could save her and also knowing libby personally as a human probably is really hard yep like he he, knowing that if they were in a different situation he would have absolutely been able to save her like that i think that's one of the things that haunts jack for quite a while yeah Like, I mean, same with Boone, right? Like, everyone on the island who he fails to save, if he had been somewhere else, he could have. Mm -hmm. Like, considering, like, the borderline miracles he's performed before, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, yeah. With with Boone, it was like, I I need a needle. Yep. Or, like, I I just need to cut off his leg safely, you know? And he could have saved Boone had he just been able to... Well, I mean, I know that he blames Locke because he doesn't know exactly what happened yeah. and, and, and such. But if he had amputated that leg immediately, 
Boone would have been fine. Boone would have been fine. Yeah. Yeah. It goes back to that, like, whole thing of control with Jack. Like, once he, like, loses touch with control, he just completely spirals. And, you know, he can't, like, get out of the headspace of wondering what would happen if he would just have, like, an ounce more control over this situation or, like, Mm -hmm. one more thing to make this better. But that's kind of, like, the whole point of his journey throughout the show is, like, learning that sometimes, like, life just happens, you know, and you can't control everything Mm -hmm. about it. So Michael asks how Libby is doing as well because like he needs to be trusted and he assumed that there would be no witnesses, you know? Yeah, he was like, well, if if I kill them both, it'll be fine because no one will know that I did this except for Henry. Mm -hmm. And Henry's not gonna tell, Mm -hmm. but he didn't expect Libby to live. It's also hard because he killed Ana Lucia on purpose. Mm -hmm. But not Libby. He killed Libby by accident. Yep. And so the fact that she's the one who's living and he's, and she's the one who he has to watch suffer. Like, Ana Lucia literally just, like, died. Like, she passed out and she died. Mm -hmm. But Libby, he's watching Libby suffer. And that's the hard part because even though neither of those women deserved what happened to them. Exactly. He, he definitely didn't want to do that to Libby. And, uh, so it must be hard on him. It was completely unintentional with Libby. Like, it was just a reactionary thing. But also, you killed two women. Exactly. (laughs) So he, Jack asks Michael how long it's been because how long ago it happened means a lot for his treatment and what he's planning on doing, which is obviously an example, Boone, which we just talked about. Yeah. So there you go. Jack needs to go after Henry, but of course Sawyer says that he's needed elsewhere. I'm glad somebody said it because Jack, what are you thinking? So stupid. Like the fact that the doctor had to be told that he had to stay and be a doctor is kind of mind blowing, Mm -hmm. but he's in such a tug of war in this power struggle that it came second to him. Well, he's also used to, I mean, I know he's been here for like two months almost, but like he's used to being in a hospital (laughs) where there's a doctor around the corner, you know? Yep. So, um, Sawyer calls Jack Daniel Boone. He actually just recently called Locke Daniel Boone in 211. Getting lazy. It's like, it's been 10 episodes, man. Like, space him out. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting lazy. <laughs> so, Echo offers and decides to take John. John's literally like, I'm on crutches, but okay. Yeah, like, um, <laughs> you good, bro? Whatever. Jack is like, okay, but if you find anything, you have to come back so we can figure out what to do. I'm like, I thought you wanted to catch up to him. You want them to double back? And waste more time? Okay. That was the thing where I was like, so are you actually looking to do anything or do you just need to immediately act on something? Oh, that second one. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what to do, so I'm going to just like be reactionary. Right. Um. So moving on to the next scene, which is quite a bit later in the episode, um, Jack feels anxious about Locke and Echo not being back yet. Michael asks if Libby has said anything yet. She hasn't. Jack can't do anything for her except make her comfortable. Sawyer gave Jack all of the medicine already, but Jack wants the heroin. He sends Kate with him to get it so that they'll know where Sawyer's stash is. Your thoughts? I am I think this <sighs> is one of the most manipulative things that Jack has ever done. Yeah, not good. Not good. Am I missing something? But there's, I mean, like, I know Jack is always temperamental, but there seems to be, like, a lot of extra tension between, like, him and Kate, especially in this episode, that, yeah. like, does not need to be there. Like, am I forgetting something that happened between them recently? Like, this is the problem with, like, <laughs> like we we have to do these episodes. This is the Jack problem. Yeah. We have to do these episodes, like, monthly because we do so many other podcasts that we genuinely don't have time to do them anymore close together yep, and true. so because of that I'm have found myself starting to like forget about what we've already talked about Yeah, it starts to float away 
So I think recently Jack and Kate got caught in the net. Oh, right, right, right. And so, but I thought that that was like, because she had said like, I'm sorry that I kissed you. And he said, I'm not. And then they found Michael. (gasps) Gross. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so I thought that they were kind of like made up, but maybe there's still a little bit bit of tension from that conversation. Yeah. That's so strange. Like, I I just picked up on so much ugly tension between him and Kate and Sawyer, which like that tension's always there between those three. But like, I don't know. It just really annoyed me this episode. Like, is it, is he just extra irritable when Kate and Sawyer are together? Because I don't like, like maybe he, I think so. I think he's petty as frick. Yeah, Yeah, totally. He's, because when he spends time with Kate, he's not that bad, depending on how he feels about Kate (laughs) that day. (laughs) With Sawyer, he's almost always angry. But when he's with Kate and Sawyer, it feels like he feels like he has something to prove. Definitely. Definitely. I think yeah. that's it. Yeah. Like, he needs to prove that he's better than Sawyer, whether or not it's about Kate or not. Yeah, mm-hmm. Kate's almost like an afterthought. That was a it's little just, redundant. My bad. No, it's not redundant because I think, like, it, it, it speaks so strongly to how Jack sees Kate. Mm-hmm. Because in a lot of things, Kate is the afterthought. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why with Sawyer, their relationship works better because Sawyer is almost always thinking about Kate Mm -hmm. and Jack's always thinking about like how he can beat Sawyer to Kate. Mm -hmm. And like, even in this instance, when someone is dying, and I mean, I I do think it's kind of like a double-edged sword here because I do think he should be applauded for having a mind so sharp that he knew that like strategically, this was the time to do it. Oh yeah, totally. Right. Like maybe like he had, he had thought about this beforehand yeah like but now like yeah he he knew this was the moment yeah that like when the time presents itself he's gonna need to like get some leverage over sawyer exactly like he knew but at the same time it's an incredibly cruel thing to do Mm -hmm. and especially because like as like we even said when we were watching the episode sawyer was gonna do it right like he got up he got up to to go he was on his way Mm -hmm. so that was that was hard Yeah. yeah jack was uh jack was rough in this episode jack's rough in a lot of episodes for me but uh yeah not not too great in this episode. I do want to say Especially, that I do end up liking Jack by the end of the se- uh, series. Um, it just mm-hmm. it just takes a while. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's nothing you can. I can make her comfortable. I don't have what I need. Why are you looking at me? I gave you all the damn meds two days. The heroin, Sawyer. <sighs> Give me twenty minutes. Kate's gonna go with you. Doesn't take two people to care. Kate is going with you. What are you talking about? Why would he need me to go with him? Jacko here knows his heroin's in my stash with the guns. So I can either show you where it's at or let poor Libby suffer. That's pretty much it, Doc. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Let's go, Freckles. So yeah, Jack thought that they would be back by then. <laughs> They're literally not even trying to find Henry. <laughs> They're doing something completely different. They don't even care. Yeah, they don't they don't care about Henry. Libby didn't say anything. Michael asks, but she hasn't said anything. She does say end up saying something later, um, which is deeply sad. Yep. Um, but yeah. Uh, she's, at this point, Jack knows that she's going to die. Like, for sure she's gonna die. They just, like, are gonna try and make her- It's a matter of, like, yeah. That's, I mean, obviously that's what the heroine's for. I, this reminds me of when the Marshal was suffering in, uh, in, at the beginning of 
season one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Throwback. And uh, he was suffering and Sawyer shoots him, misses, you know, there's like this whole thing, but the idea was there. But yeah, it it's like at this point they can't really take her out of her misery. Like they're just going to try, like they have, what am I trying to say? They're try, they have more resources to to make her more comfortable so that they don't have to just full on shoot her. Yeah, like they can do it. It's gentle. It's it's right. more gentle. Yes. Yeah. Which is better. And I mean, with the marshal, Sawyer ends up missing his heart and Jack full on just has to strangle him. Yep. Because once again, Jack doesn't have the equipment to put him down properly. Exactly. That's probably... Or kindly. It, it was too early. Mm-hmm. That's probably part of why like Sawyer is so helpful in this episode. Like, Mm. obviously i love sawyer that's no (laughs) secret but i think he is like genuinely like good guy sawyer in this episode and like he really just wants to help in any way he can and i think he absolutely would have like offered up the heroin had jack not like forced him into an ultimatum about it like i i bet like two seconds later sawyer was gonna be like oh hey i know how i can help like jack just give him Mm. a second yep if (laughs) to simplify it greatly mm-hmm. it's like when you stand up from the table after eating dinner and your mom goes can you put your dish in the dishwasher and you're like i was i was literally on my way going to put my dish in the but dishwasher like, now i resent you but now you've told me to do it and i look like a jerk literally because it looks like i wasn't going to put my dish in the dishwasher but i was going to put my dish in the dishwasher yep. literally i think that happens so much with jack and sawyer where like Mm. Jack is like, hey, Sawyer, I'm going to make you do this thing. And Sawyer's just like, dude, I was literally going to do that if you had just given me a minute. Yeah. <sighs> I love Sawyer. Um, So he doesn't have anything to help. So he needs the heroin. Sawyer says he'll totally go get it. And Jack sends Kate with him. Like even right now, Jack is thinking strategically. Mm-hmm. In my notes, I wrote that Jack is thinking selfishly. But I don't know if that's true. Mm. What What do you guys think? Is what Jack's doing selfish? Or is he thinking of everybody? I think it's strategic, but I don't think it's selfish. I would agree. I would say strategic because I I think Jack is a lot of things, but I don't think he's like inherently selfish. I think he's very selfless and will ultimately always sacrifice himself or like the good of himself for someone else. And he's like selfless to his own detriment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We all know that Jack is a Gryffindor. Oh, the most Gryffindor to ever Gryffindor. The Gryffindoriest. Exactly. <laughs> Him and Archie would be best pals. Thanks. <laughs> oh, they really would be. You think? Yeah. They would be such good friends. <laughs> like, weirdly enough, I feel like Archie would make Jack more likable and Jack would make Archie more likable. Oh, totally. That's possible. That's possible. It would just be two idiots doing the absolute most all the time. Even though they're both, like, quite unlikable. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. Um, Their hearts are in the right places, but they're both so dumb. Exactly. So Sawyer has to either show Kate where all the stuff is or let Libby suffer, which obviously Sawyer is not willing to do. Because even Sawyer isn't going to be like, he's not evil. Sucks to suck. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Sawyer was going to go. Like he had no problems. Just Like he, like before Jack says Kate's going with you, Sawyer's up and walking out the door. Right? Mm-hmm. Like he was like, the minute he was like, we need the heroin, Sawyer didn't even hesitate. He mm-hmm. got up and I was like, the bar's on the floor for you, but you still <laughs> walked right over it. Yeah. <laughs> you stepped over it. Can't even limbo under that bar. No, you cannot. <laughs> on their way to the stash, Kate asks how Anna got Sawyer's gun. He says he doesn't know. They get to his stash, which was actually just inside his tent underneath him the whole time. They're leaving when Hurley walks up looking for Libby. Kate has to break the news to him. Ugh. 
So one of the things that we really like about Lost is the fact that they have these tiny moments of laughter or joy, even when everything is dark. This episode is very dark. It's probably like the darkest episode of season two, I think. But this moment where Kate goes, how did she get the gun? And Sawyer's like, I don't know, weird. I, yeah, I can't think of one way (laughs) she would have done that. (laughs) So strange. And it's like, Sawyer's probably kind of, oh, sorry, not probably, absolutely embarrassed. Yeah. About the fact that he just got taken advantage of. He's like, I'm the one who takes advantage and somebody took advantage of me. That's a good point. Yeah. And he got played. So he's embarrassed. And not only is that, but the other girl that he has a crush on is now asking about it. And so not only is he embarrassed that the gun got taken away from him, but he's also doesn't want to tell her that he just smashed with some other girl. (laughs) Because he's trying to smash with that one. Yeah, that's a good point. There's just a lot going on for Sawyer right now. Yeah. And he's like, I just don't want to talk about it. But it's interesting because at some point he does eventually confide in somebody. Yep. So it's like, he just didn't want to confide in Kate, which honestly, I understand. Yeah. In this moment. Yeah. And I also think that like in this moment, like, like this kind of comes more into play in the next episode, but Mm -hmm. he's sort of hit with the jarring fact that like he was one of the last people who saw Anna alive. Mm-hmm. And, like, that'll kind of, like... Was one of the last people to ever, like, be with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And, like, that'll kind of come to, like... I mean, not, not like, spoilery, but, like, that'll... It's gonna haunt him kind of a little bit in the next right. episode. So, like... Well, that's I think, implied. For yeah. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. And I, so I think there's also, like, that undercurrent under that kind of, like, sheepishness and embarrassment he's showing with Kate is, like, um, I kind of feel, like, partially guilty for, like, what just happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. There's oh. guilt. I'm so sad for him. There's guilt everywhere, all over this this episode. Locke yes. feels guilty. Yep. Sawyer feels guilty. I have that in my notes. Jack feels guilty. There's guilt everywhere. Yep. Everyone feels per- everywhere feels bad about it. And the person who we see the least amount of guilt from is the person, person who is guilty. Yeah, which is really interesting. So I actually got a bit of a blooper from Lostpedia about what time of day all of this happened. Okay. So this is from Lostpedia. Michael shot Libby and Ana Lucia during daylight hours. Libby was getting blankets for a picnic. And Jack, Kate, and Locke went to get the guns from Sawyer. However, this episode has them walking the short distance back to the swan in the dark, spending a short amount of time in the swan, and then Sawyer and Kate are on the beach in daylight again with Hurley looking for Libby, giving the impression she had just left to get the blankets. Yeah! Oh my god. They don't usually do this. That's what I noticed during the episode, and then I just assumed it took them a long-ass time to walk back to the beach. This doesn't usually ha- Like, they don't usually do this. No. Because then when Echo and Locke leave, it's dark. That's so weird. It's dark again. Yes. So it's like, you think, have have they been there all- Like, maybe they've been there all night? But also Hurley's like, hey- Like, the way that Hurley talks makes it seem like she just left. Yeah. But- if, if the timeline... Yeah, right? He's just sitting there on the beach wondering, like, hey, where's the girl with the blankets? <gasps> it's super inconsistent. Right. If the timeline... How much time has passed? If we can try and make the timeline make sense, then it's... That means that Hurley's asking the next day, yep. and he just couldn't find Libby, and Libby's been awake and alive all night, and everyone's just been in the hatch with her. Mm-hmm. And and it's been but almost she's been dying the entire time. It's been like twelve hours, and Hurley hasn't heard from her, and no one thought to tell him. If the timeline makes sense, that was just a little confusing. That was the thing that really upset me when we were watching, but I didn't say anything because I thought I was just being stupid. Mm. But they were like, 
it, it took them that long to tell Hurley that the sun had already risen. And I was like, that that can't be right. Mm-hmm. Like, they would never wait this long. I must have missed something. But now I'm glad that I didn't. Right. And also, how long did Libby last? Like, how long was she suffering? I am so confused on this timeline. Because they give her the heroin at the very end of the episode, Mm -hmm. and then she dies pretty much immediately. Because I think he overdoses her, right? Like, that's why. Yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, she was suffering, like, all night if if that timeline is correct. Which I think it is. Mm. Oof. So the stash was under Sawyer the whole time. Uh, Hurley can't find Libby and no one thought to tell him. Which, okay, like, obviously they were preoccupied with other things. Yep. But- even, like, Kate and Sawyer, neither of them were, like, doing a lot there. You know, like, it was mostly Jack. Obviously, Jack needed, like, a helper. But, like, does anybody else know other than, like, Saeed about Hurley and Libby? Like, Sawyer did. Sawyer did, yeah. Sawyer knew that Hurley had a crush on Libby. Yeah. So, yeah. I understand why they might have not done it because, obviously, they were preoccupied. But also, somebody probably should have considered who else Libby had relationships with. Agreed. Yeah. I guess that's my full thought about that. I liked all of them. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So they have the heroin now. Yeah. Jack opens a Mary statue and gets the heroin. Hurley's there now and he tells Michael about the date that he's glad, about the date and that he's glad that he's safe. It is not great. That moment is so chilling and I get chills every time. Yep. Mm-hmm. When we get the close up on Hurley and says, I'm glad you're okay, man. And Michael's like, um, I'm not. Yeah, but like, thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing well though. Props to Jorge for delivering that line in just like the best way. Yep. Oh yeah. And Harold. Harold is. Mm. Oh, he's so good. Unreal in this episode. All his little micro expressions and like trying to keep his emotions under wraps and like you could physically feel his nervousness like the entire episode. It was crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It. Yeah. He kept you very tense. Yes. And you just, like, it also kind of kept you angry. Oh, yeah. Because that was, like, his main focus was, am I going to get caught? I hope she dies. And you're like, oh, my God. Yeah, like, he has to hope that she dies. Yeah, he has to. And um, that in itself is, again, like, makes it hard to sympathize with Michael, even though, like, again, he's doing all of this for his son. That's a very sympathetic thing to, like, be doing. But it's sort of that cool motive still murder energy. Yeah. So they have the heroine now. And Locke recently said, I don't want to break any Mary statues. Like, I think Jack was like, hey, why aren't you just taking the heroine out? And he's like, I'm not out here trying to break Mary statues. And Jack's like, not a problem. (laughs) Yeah, like, uh, I got this. Don't worry about it. So, yeah, Hurley's here. And he says it was going to be our first date. And it's like, Michael, you're supposed to feel bad. Yeah. Like, this is going to haunt you. I also, like, we see him at the end of the episode sitting in the armory by himself. And you know that he has guilt, for sure. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's really interesting the place where he chose to sit. Like, that's where Henry has been for, like, two weeks? Well, And he's standing... Potentially? Over on his body. Oh, in, in the armory. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's he's sitting with her, and he's it's like he's taking Henry's place. Like, he Ooh. let Henry go, and now he's sitting there kind of taking Henry's place, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. I like it. Good thoughts. I think I had another... I thought I had another one, but I, did, I lost it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so that scene is kind of small, so I think that's all that I had for that one. Uh, so this is the final scene of the storyline and also the episode. Okay. Jack injects the heroin into Libby's arm. Hurley comes to talk to her, apologizing for forgetting the blankets. Libby wakes up enough to tell them that it's Michael who shot her. They misunderstand her and assure her that Michael is fine, which isn't an awesome thing to hear right before you die, which she promptly does. Kate, Sawyer, Jack, and Hurley mourn her. Michael stands alone in the armory with Analysia, the button beeping, calling for someone to press it. This whole- Hi, I'm Robin. 
And I really hate watching needles go into skin. Oh yeah, not fun. Yeah, the minute it came on screen, she turned around. It makes me uncomfortable, and I, it like it's like I feel it. Yep. Ugh. That's the only reason why I can't actively watch maternity leave is because they constantly Ugh. show us that needle in her stomach, and yep. I feel it in my stomach oh, every time. I don't usually have a problem with needles, mm-hmm. but for some reason, if it goes into a pregnant stomach, Ugh. it reels me right out. Because like the pressure, nope. yeah, no, no, yeah, no, it, no, it, no, it no. totally feels like pressure. You're so right. Yeah, Ew. yeah, that's totally it. It's gross. Yep, it's gross. <laughs> it's gross. Don't like it. No, I hate it. Anyway, I you know. I like watching comedies because I know I'm not going to see any heckin' needles go into skin. <laughs> you know? You would assume. Like, I watch Stranger Things and I do my notes and I'm like, didn't want that. You know, it happens to Will a lot. This this show, it, does, it happens a lot. It's like, why? But why we have to do but, that? But why? But why? Yeah. I think, Casey, were you going to say something before I started talking about needles? <laughs> uh, I was, and now I can't remember because I'm just thinking about needles and I hate you for that. I am so sorry. Uh, sorry. I think I was just going to say that, like, this whole, like, uh, like series of scenes is, like, so chilling and beautiful. First of all, the skate cuddles of it all. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. I just, uh, <laughs> so soft and I love them so much. Um, thanks so much. Uh, but also, what's her name? Cynthia, the girl who plays Libby. Yes. Oh my god. The, the, f- like, her face when Jack tells her, oh no, it's okay, Michael's alive. Her, oh my goodness. Oh my god. The, like, fear and the, like, uh, oh my god, just all the emotion on her face in that moment. And like and that's what she dies hearing. Yeah, yeah, that her murderer survived and that her doctor thinks that doesn't doesn't know who did it. Like she's glad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, it's so chilling. Like her face, it makes me so uncomfortable because it feels like just so visceral. Like you can practically see like everything running through her head in that moment and she's like oh my god i'm about to die and this is the last thing i'm hearing and the last thing that i'm seeing mm-hmm. ugh, just ugh. it hurts i there are so many people that i want to give props to for this episode like we already gave props to harold jorge cynthia well cynthia did a great job dying for sure oh it was the horrible. face that she makes when she dies is it's horrifying haunting. it's haunting but I also, and I'm going to talk about um, Terry and Adewale later, Yeah, obviously. I was going to say, Terry is the, one of the other ones you had. But um, I also, one of my notes was that I thought that Matt was great in this scene in particular. Um, I really loved the moment. Obviously, it's horrible. But I loved the moment for Matt when she says Michael and Matt goes, Libby, it's okay. Matt has oh, read the yeah. script. Oh, like, yeah. He knows, like, he what knows, He knows what happens yep. and everything. But he... Yeah, that had to be hard to do convincingly. Like, he... Like, I mean, he's... Knowing that she's not happy. He's exactly. an actor. He's a professional actor. But it's still, like, you watch it and you're like, man, he really sold the fact that Jack is, like, truly trying to reassure Libby and tell her that everything's going to be okay even though like matt as a person knows that that's not what she wants to hear and not what she means at all agreed Mm -hmm. how do you inject powder water soluble question mark oh yeah well heroin i'm not going to explain how you cook melts you cook heroin basically so eventually it is a liquid that you inject gotcha so charlie just like snorts it but you can also inject it yeah well crack pipe Mm-hmm. Spoon. Heat up the spoon. Turn to the liquid. Put liquid in needle. Needle goes in arm. Man, why would you? Why would you do? Bad. Why would you? Why would you do needles if you could just snort it? <laughs> like if you're gonna do it, <laughs> it's a pure high. I know, but like, ouch! It lasts for longer. 
Why? Why do needles and you could just snort it? It's just like why? Why are you hurting yourself? The joke is that Robin's actually just like talking about like trying to take up cocaine. <laughs> like I need to get more done in a day. So Hurley goes to talk to Libby, and he says that he's really sorry that he forgot the blankets because, of course, Hurley also feels like it's his fault because if he hadn't forgotten the blankets, then she wouldn't have gone to the hatch and she yeah. would have died. Mm. Hey. It's Hurley. Here we go. I'm sorry I forgot the blankets. I'm sorry I forgot the blankets. So she says that it was Michael. And if, the, okay, so this is a really potentially dark thought. Okay, I'm ready okay, for it. Okay, so do you guys ever think, like, I watch a lot of true crime stuff. Same, like, love who, it. Who yeah, doesn't? Yeah, yeah. And I always think, like, if I got, if I was, like, gonna die or, like, get murdered or something, I would do everything in my power to try and tell somebody who did it. Because there's nothing worse than knowing who did it and watching the police flounder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And like knowing who did it or like, like, I just feel like if that happened to me, I would do everything to try and tell somebody who was at fault and try and like plant as much evidence as possible so that justice was done. Yeah. And so the fact that she has the opportunity finally as her first words after this happened and her last words. Her first and only, yeah. To say, this is the person who hurt me. And for them to be like, he's okay, he's alive, yep. he's great. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about that when watching it. Like, at first I was kind of like, well, all these guys are kind of stupid. Like, wouldn't you think that like, if she's saying one word, don't you think that like, she's saying something important? And like, I don't know. But I guess if I was there, I would kind of like, maybe think the same way Jack was. Like, she's either trying- Well, Jack has no reason- Yeah, he yeah, has no to reason to that. think that Michael's evil or whatever. Yeah, right, right, right. Like, it seems so obvious that it's Henry to the rest of them. So, mm -hmm. of course, he would think that, like, maybe for her last words, she wants to know, like, did her friend survive? Which, right. that's Because Libby true. and Michael had, like, some- had, like, time together. Yeah. On the other side of the island, yeah. you know? So, Yeah. I mean, I remember talking about that in the spoiler section of the earlier episodes in season two and saying, like, all of this time that Michael and Libby are spending together, like, Michael's the one who kills her, which is Oof. really sad. Exactly. There is a blooper here just that, like, when she dies and Jorge is, like, crying about her death and everything, she's pretty clearly breathing. Ah, give her a break. Yeah, like, it's it's just, like, quite obvious if you're looking for Girl's it. Oh, no! Yeah. So, um, Kate is crying and we get that top-notch skate content. Oh! Oh, God. I love it so much. And the thing is, it's not that Kate goes to Sawyer. It's that Sawyer goes to Kate. Like, Jack, Literally. obviously, is doing his own mourning thing and, like, 
you know, he has a different sort of thing. He has a different relationship to what just happened than Sawyer did, obviously. But like, Jack, if you're trying to like get with Kate and you're worried about Sawyer, like she's sitting over there crying and who takes the initiative? I'm just saying. Exactly. What are your thoughts on this, Casey? Um, My thoughts are I love them. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Those are really good thoughts. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I, uh, I like, don't even have proper words. I think, like, I think Sawyer is a lot more, like, emotionally in tune with Kate than, like, people give him credit for. Agreed. Like, I, pe- I think people tend to think that Jack is more so in tune with her, but I would, like, I would kind of strongly disagree with that. I'd say he's more in tune with, like, his own thoughts and rather than, like, what she's thinking and stuff like that. Um. Yeah. But for me, Sawyer and Kate have always seemed very similar in, like, their mannerisms, like, in moments when they're angry and how they act when they're upset. And, like, in this moment when they're grieving, like, I think they're very similar where, like, Sawyer sees Kate upset and he knows that, like, what she needs in that moment is, like, just someone to be with her. And I think that's pretty much, like, why I was so drawn to them as, like, a pair instantly was the way they both read each other so well. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. At the same time, like, they read each other well and also, you know, as much as Sawyer runs his mouth, he knows when he needs to be quiet. Oh, yeah. And, like, he knew the only thing that she needed in that moment was for him to just shut up and, like, be her support. Mm -hmm. And whereas I think Jack, by the nature of who Jack is, I don't know if he would have known to do that. Because I don't think he... No, I think he would have been much more like, hey, Kate, you want to talk about this? And Kate would have just been like, are you kidding me right now? She's like, can I just cry? I would argue that Sawyer, weirdly enough, is probably more in tune with his own emotions, even Mm. more than Jack No, I agree 100%. Oh, definitely. Sawyer knows, as much as Sawyer runs from his past, Sawyer knows who and what he is. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know that he has potential, but Sawyer knows the worst of himself, whereas Jack avoids the worst of himself. Yes. And like, (gasps) go off. That's why Sawyer can be in touch with his emotions. Jack just likes to run from him. <laughs> Go on. That's so good. Oh my god, my mind is reeling. Ugh. I just, ugh, I love him. So, uh, moving back into my notes, this is something that I think I already said, but I basically said Jack deals with death on a daily basis. He doesn't usually know the person, but he's used to just moving on because he needs to be strong. Well, he can compartmentalize yeah. unlike other people. Mm-hmm. Which I think is interesting, but the writers considered that. You know, they considered their backgrounds, especially with Jack. Like, they, they don't even say, like, oh, he's a doctor. They think what is the what are the emotional repercussions of being a doctor what does that change about the way that you think yep. what do, you know and i think that's really cool they also knew that um kate was in a safe enough place and was surrounded by safe people that she could cry like that mm-hmm. which was interesting because kate often tries to be like a bad bitch right mm-hmm. But oh, yeah. they allowed Kate to grieve, and that says a lot about, like, Kate's emotional development with these people. Mm-hmm. Like, Kate hasn't even spent that much time with Anna Lucia and Libby, but, like, how traumatic yeah. must it have been to be there? Especially for sure. because for all of them, this was actually, like, for Kate, that was a safe space that they were in. Mm-hmm. And now it's going to be completely, like, invaded by, like, death. Yeah. 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 So Hurley stays with Libby, Michael's in the armory, and the button beeping is so ominous. I'm like, mm-hmm. like, no one, no one wants to do that now because nope. because going back over to the button and putting in those numbers is like returning to normalcy after something like that happened yep so my question is who do like who did it like i don't know probably jack jack either jack that. or yeah. yeah yeah probably jack jack got the job done yeah like because as much as like we dunk on jack like he is very good at doing what needs to be done mm-hmm. so oh, like yeah. even when he was doing the sawyer thing 
he did what needed to be done. It was just such an inappropriate time to do it. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. It's like, when am I going to have another opportunity to yeah. do this, though? He made, you know? he made the, that's what uh, they call in Battlestar, rolling the hard six. Mm. He, he took a shot and paid off. Mm -hmm. That's all I had for that storyline. All right. So now we are going to do the rest of the island storyline with Echo and Locke, starting with Echo's dream. Echo's chopping wood. Anna Lucia asks him what he's doing. He tells her that he's building a church. She reveals that this is a dream. She's dead and he needs to help Locke. I sad. I sad. Brittany, tell us about your favorite thing about the dream. <laughs> My favorite thing about the dream is that Echo's just like working away and then it cuts over to like this huge like empty space shot and Anna Lucia is just standing there like a kid who came into her parents' room at 3am telling them that she threw up. <laughs> She just like she looks like a sim that doesn't know yeah, what she's doing. Like the arms are standing there, and someone like forgot to press play on her or something, <laughs> yeah. and she's just like, "I'm dead." <laughs> she's like, "Sub." So, um, how does Echo know how to construct a building? He's smart. Like Michael is a construction worker. Yes. Like or like even like he's an architect. Is he not? Well, I think I think that he's went. He wants to be an architect. He like potentially went to architect school. Maybe I'm just making that up. But he was a, he's a construction worker yes. for sure. He worked in construction. Okay, so that's why I was like, okay, but how does Echo know? Like maybe he's just making the outside of his church right now, and he's like, I'll figure it out as I go. <laughs> I mean, it could have also been like something that he picked up like as a hobby right. or out of necessity, even. Like, yeah, maybe in uh, in Nigeria. Yeah, you they, just like know that sort of thing. I don't think you just know that sort of thing, but I think like you you could you learn right yeah like the same way like i think you could feasibly construct a house me like uh, on a beach like i think you could feasibly figure it out i i think you have too much faith in me okay well i think i could okay yeah i just feel like it would fall down i would also i would also argue that like his church like doesn't end up looking like nearly as like intricately detailed as say like the raft or something right like, yeah that that michael design yeah so I would say that, like... Yeah, it's very... This is very, like... It's very rough shot, I yeah, would say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So Anna is a vision or a dream, like, almost certainly a vision. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk, obviously, a little bit more about that in the spoiler section. Um, uh, yeah, standing weird. <laughs> um, said he was told to build it. By who? He was just told by the... He says he was just told, but, like... By the island, by the, obviously. Yeah. He saw it in a dream like this one, and he needs to help John. There's a lot of questions that I have about this in particular, but most of them have to go in the spoiler section. Yeah, I was going to say, are these questions that get answered, or... Kind of, and that's kind of why we need to okay, talk about okay, it okay, okay. in there, I think. Um, so then we get these flashes, and as far as I can tell, there's nothing really new, but um, the Lostpedia page for this episode it does list out all of the flashes that happen. But yeah, I looked through it, don't really see anything of that much note. Yeah. So um, yeah, but if you want the entire list of them, they're on the Lostpedia Wikipedia they're on the Lostpedia page for this episode. Okay. Uh, Echo's dream brings him into the hatch where he sees Yemi at the computer. He starts to apologize. Yemi just tells him to help Locke and get him to take him to the question mark. So Echo still looks just like he did in the last dream. He hasn't changed outfits or anything. Yeah. Like you, you know, you like you can in, in dreams. Um, he sees Yemi at the computer. And so at that point, he obviously knows it's a dream because Ana Lucia just told him. And also now he's seeing his dead brother. He knows it's a dream, but obviously it's still cathartic to apologize. Yeah, because he mm -hmm. immediately goes into like, I'm so sorry, you were right. I should never have done that, which is something he's probably been thinking about for three years. Yeah, like, and he's always wanted to apologize. Yeah. He says that John has lost his way, and it's because Henry said that he didn't press the button. But then 
John ends up losing even more faith after he hangs out with Echo this episode. So what exactly was the goal? He had to get to the bottom. He had to hit rock bottom. Talk more about that. Well, like for Locke, he's not going to reach sort of, I'm not going to say deity status, but do you know what I mean when I say something like that? Like very much like Locke doesn't consider himself a normal person. Mm-hmm. Um, or he, I, I should say he wants to be more than a normal person. He wants to be special. And so in order for him to truly be special and not just believe it, he has to hit rock bottom and then watch more miracles occur, mm. you know? So he has to hear Echo's story. He has to start listening to other people mm-hmm. because so far Locke only listens to Locke. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, this serves as the point where he's at his all-is-lost moment. So it's like, what are you going to do? Are you going to give up? Or are you going to listen to Mr. Echo and see what the island has in store for you? And I think it was also a humbling moment, too, because he now has to understand that he's not the only special one. Right. Like, in the hero's journey, later if Locke gets his faith back, Mm -hmm. he can say, okay, well, that was my, like, dark part of the soul or whatever whatever the hero's journey, that part of the hero's journey is called. And he's like, okay, so, but I'm still the hero, you know? Yeah, he's still the hero, but, like, in my mind, he's always the hero of his own story, whereas in this story, especially in this plotline, it's Mr. Echo. Mm -hmm. Mr. Echo is the hero. Right. But for Locke, he's just the sidekick. And for Mr. Echo, like, I guess he's supposed to take on sort of, like, the role of the wise, like... Like a Dumbledore, you know, yeah. or a Gandalf. Like, that's who Mr. Echo is supposed to be to Locke. But for me, Mr. Echo is too emotionally complicated to be something so cut and dry. Mm-hmm. And I think this episode makes the argument that Locke's specialness is something that he's become quite self-obsessed with. And Mr. Echo is the one who is humbled by that same trait. Right. So if Locke is like, I'm Dumbledore, then Echo's like, okay, well, if you're not gonna do your duties, then I'm McGonagall and I'm gonna take over as deputy headmistress. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, this next one's pretty small. It's just Echo wakes up with a start next to Charlie and goes to find Locke. So he's sleeping next to Charlie with their church because they're building it together. Charlie also doesn't know how to build a building, so that's why it's so like... Mm-hmm. Well, it's something. Easy day at work for Dom. Yeah. Yeah. But here's a conversation that I really wanted to have. Showing who people sleep beside actually means a lot to character relationships. Yes. So it's it's inherent trust. Yeah. Yeah. So sometimes Charlie slept next to Claire for a very long time because they were like a thing. And then Locke slept next to Claire because Charlie was being a nut job. You know, where your tent is and who you sleep next to really means a lot to character relationships because it's who you trust, you know? Like, Echo wouldn't sleep next to Charlie if he thought Charlie was going to murder him in his sleep. Like, Echo, you sleep next to an axe. Exactly. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing that Echo trusts most is an axe. Mm. Yeah, plus Mm. Echo still has that, like, vivid memory from... Like, when the tailies were all together, like, when um the others, like, came and took them and murdered people in their sleep, like, so that right. has to be especially, like, I don't know, I don't want to say that, like, <laughs> sleep must be very daunting for Mr. Echo, but, like, that's gotta be- Probably it going, probably, probably, probably going to sleep is, like, scary every time. Yeah. I think- That's gotta be, like, terrifying every other night after I that. I think you're totally right. Well, I mean, in the other 48 days, like, literally the first night they were there, that's when Echo got, like, attacked. Yeah for the first time and he had to kill two more people and you know that ended up being like a huge thing for him for like like 60 days yeah and until he finally felt like he got like repentance for it but yeah like sleeping is your most vulnerable is like the time that you're most vulnerable and so you really have to trust the people that have access to you while you're sleeping yeah. if that makes sense hey Brittany. hey robin 
you're my roommate Mm -hmm, uh and you have access to me while I'm sleeping. Yes, I do. (laughs) And uh, so I just want you to know Mm -hmm. that that really means a lot. Hey. And you should really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Mm -hmm. Sorry that I uh, snore in my sleep for when you have access to me sleeping, which is quite a bit because I fall asleep on the couch like an old man a lot. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, but it means that you're safe. You feel safe near us. What? That's nice. Okay, that's true. Actually, that's totally true. And yesterday, when I was asleep, I was kind of like in and out, and I hear Robin walk by and very quietly go to Sam. She's never gonna sleep tonight. <laughs> <laughs> you heard? Me. I literally was like, she's not gonna sleep tonight. <laughs> I woke up and I looked at Sam, and I was like, "What is she? My mother?" I'm <laughs> mm. uh, glad I just remembered that right now. <laughs> So, um, moving on, we kind of skip to uh, when Echo and John are together because we've already discussed um, what happens to Echo after this. Echo and John are walking through the jungle on a mission. Locke is confused because he hasn't seen a trail and doesn't know what they're following. Echo asks him about the question mark. Locke tries to swerve him, but Echo is relentless. Akko won't- Akko? I went Locke and Echo at the same time. (laughs) Oh, their ship name! Locke won't tell, so Echo knocks him out. I mean, that's one way to get stuff done. Alas, the knockout counter. I mean, it seems to work for Saeed a lot. It sure does. Yeah. So Echo volunteers Locke (laughs) that he's coming. He's like, let's go. He's like, oh, I'll take John. And John's like, I can't. I'm on crutches. Like, I can barely walk, bro. (laughs) And he's like, bro, bro, bonding road trip, bro. Why doesn't John trust Echo? Is it because their faiths are different? And I think Echo is just such an unknowable person. And I think it's easy to predict. Like, this is supposed to be Locke's little secret. You know, he doesn't want to tell anybody about it because... And also, I think he's a little bit embarrassed about it. Like, especially when he finally does give him, like, the map, or if it is a map, which it is. Yeah. Um, when he finally gives it to him, he's, like, embarrassed about it because it's, like, literally the only, like... He saw it for 10 seconds, and it's just, like, a I mean, picture. he doesn't even call it a map. He says it's a transcription. Yeah. So, Which like, true. He, he doesn't... I think that's partially Locke's own self-doubt, partially him downplaying the importance of it because he wants to keep it to himself, and partially that he doesn't really understand what, like, Mr. Echo would do with that information. Mm-hmm. So Echo knocks him out with his As own you do. head. Well, that's what I do to my friends when I need them to listen to me. Also, I have an announcement that I forgot to talk about. Okay. I am... Now, Michael Giacchino's new publicist. Oh my oh god, my god. Yeah, I've heard about that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Would you like to tell everyone how that happened? Would you like to tell everyone how that happened? Okay, so, Robin does this out-of-control thing where she makes a TikTok, and she literally talks about how everyone is sleeping on Giacchino. 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 Because he is one of the- he truly is mm-hmm. one of the finest composers of, like, modern-day pop culture. He has made music for probably every recognizable thing that you could name. Like, he's- I would go as far as to call him the new John Williams. Sure, Do you on. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, my, my thing is to- <laughs> <laughs> Everybody raves about the Up soundtrack. Stop it. Everyone- and no one shuts up about it. It's, like, the best thing ever. Everybody uses it for everything. Y'all aren't thinking about the person who was- who wrote that. The person who went into the- the studio and conducted a band to write that to play that song. I have great news about the Picard show. Does Jaqu- is Jaquina doing the music? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's great news. Yeah. So I was like, ooh, you're really gonna like this. By the time that this episode comes out, Picard will have aired. Oh my god, I'm gonna be a different person. Yeah. My personality's gonna be totally different. Probably more annoying. Oh no. Yeah. Mm, I might have to replace you with Casey. I understand. She's <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so Robin makes this TikTok talking about how much she loves him, and she tags him in it, and he I sees it. I did not it. think he- Yeah. And he freaking sees it, and he quote tweet- 
tweets and goes, hey, everyone, meet my new publicist, because it is now Robin, his number one stan. And like people were in the plies being like, you deserve it, King. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. Robin is his biggest fan. <laughs> like you may think you're the biggest fan, but it's actually Robin. I didn't think he was going to have that many followers. He has 90,000 followers. Yeah, he's like pretty famous. I gained 57 followers from that. Holy shit. So congratulations. And like m multiple people going, hey, can we be friends? And my brain is like, no. <laughs> just, oh my God. just kidding. We can be friends. It's fine. They just have to, like, lost. Yeah. I mean, like, it's either, like, I will take somebody tweeting me saying, can we be friends, over the people who went in my DMs um, and told me that they love me. Why? Well, because it was some random dude. Oh, it was the gross men kind. Gotcha. And I was like, nah. I was like, I if a nice you. person came into my DMs and be like, oh my god, I love you, you're so funny. I'd be like, um. Oh, no, no, that's not what it was. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do that to people. Don't do that. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Um, but yeah, his uh, actual publicist answered. She uh, replied and said, I thought I was your publicist. Oh, no! And I was like, oh, haha. And then I clicked on it. I was like, no, that's his publicist. She said, I thought I was your publicist. And he replied and said, it's a team. <gasps> it's a team. <laughs> oh, my God. So I'm on the team. Okay. You're on the G team. You'll mm -hmm. cover the uh, TikTok Mm. portion. I just wanted to say that I made it on TikTok and I posted it to Twitter and it didn't make any numbers on TikTok, but it made quite a few numbers on Twitter. Yeah. And that's why we stand Twitter. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, moving uh, on. I would say stand Twitter for clear skin, but Twitter will never give you clear skin. It'll <laughs> just give you like a stress. Uh, okay. Locke wakes up later, Echo having built a fire. Locke thinks he's crazy. He's out here doing this when his friends just got murdered. Echo is convinced that they would want him to do this. Locke gives him the piece of paper he's been writing the map on, and Echo tries his best to decipher it. So Locke can't have been out for too long because it's still, like, night. I mean, we've established from this episode that the timeline doesn't really... Yeah, the timeline's out. a little fuzzy. Who's to say? Yeah. Uh, so it's still night, but he did make a fire. Anna wants Echo to help Locke find the question mark, mm -hmm. or the island is using Anna to get him to do it. It's the second one. Yeah. What would uh, what would Anna care? Yeah, literally, Anna has no stake in this game. Like, I have no idea why Echo thinks that Anna would want to do this other than, like, what he thinks that her spirit came to him in a dream. Like, when he was like, they would want me to do this, I was like, no, Anna would want you to hunt Henry down mm -hmm. and put a bullet in his head. Yeah. Which is what she wanted Michael to do when she handed him the gun. Exactly. Like, and Libby, I don't think, would want him dead but she would want him caught like she would not say go on a spiritual journey with Locke. I feel like we throw around the phrase the ultimate betrayal a lot but the fact that Anna was like I want to kill Henry but I can't. Michael will you kill Henry? Here's a gun. And instead Michael lets Henry go and kills Anna that, my friend, yeah. is the ultimate betrayal. Yep, 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 yep. So Echo has renewed enthusiasm to find the question mark. I really, really, really loved this moment because because um, throughout all of the season, after we got the hatch open, Locke spent the whole time, every time someone said, my hatch or your hatch, Locke would be like, yes, it is my hatch. Yep. <laughs> yes, thank you. It is my hatch. And Or or like when Henry said, your hatch, Locke like lit up. He's like so excited. He's like, yes, it yeah, is my hatch. hatch. And now- You really think so? <laughs> and now Echo says, your hatch. And Locke says, it's not my hatch. Yeah. Mm. Here. Here, you want to find your damn question mark here? Here, this is it right here. Here, take it. Take it because it's nothing. It's a memory. It's ten seconds of nothing. This is your hatch, yes? It's not my hatch. 
this is the thing where it's Locke's ego comes into play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't want to take responsibility for what just happened. Exactly. Yeah. In quote unquote, his hatch, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, for him, like all of this is personal, like he is no longer special. Now that he knows the truth of what the hatch is, it's not his hatch. He's not special. None of this meant anything. Mm-hmm. So he can now absolve himself of any and all responsibility mm-hmm. here. But at the same time, I don't think he's like consciously doing that. I think like he basically is just so hurt that he wants to like put a wall up between it. Right. So Locke feels partially responsible for Anna's death because he didn't tell Jack about her vendetta against Henry. I mean, who doesn't have a vendetta against Henry, but he like specifically tried to kill Anna Lucia last episode. Sure did. A lot of people feel responsible for Anna's death. So Locke feels responsible, but is he? No. No. I think Michael would have done what he did no matter what. Yeah. And even if they think it's, uh, even if they think that the person who shot them was Henry, they still knew that Henry was a threat, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't think yeah. it was. I, I think that even if it had turned out, like Anna had come to Jack and said, yo, I stole Sawyer's gun. Jack would have been like, ha ha. We love, we love making fun of Sawyer. Great. Good job. And she would have been like, okay, I'll stick around with Henry. And Jack would have been like, cool. She'd be like, I have the gun. And Jack's like, I trust you. Yes. Like, either way, this would have happened. Yeah. If they knew she had the gun or not. Michael, the thing is, like... You like, Jack never... had his own gun. Exactly. He didn't also need hers. Like, if need be, Michael would take the gun off anyone. Mm-hmm. You have a determined parent trying to get to their child. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what the circums were, circumstances were surrounding it. It was gonna happen. Right. So, Echo's talking about these dreams and these visions. Locke has had these dreams. Why doesn't he believe anymore? Because I think he thought those dreams were only for him. Mm. I truly do. Mm-hmm. And because I think Mr. Echo is a threat to him. Mm. Because Mr. Echo is a threat to his beliefs. Right. Whereas someone like Rose, Mm -hmm. who he knows is also special, but doesn't have an agenda, he can just kind of put that one away. But Mr. Echo is on like a journey. Right. And it is not parallel to Locke's. Mm -hmm. So then Echo says, have you ever followed Dream? Locke's like, hmm? Huh? Have you ever seen Tangled? What? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Locke has followed a Dream. That's how he found the hatch. Yeah. And and Echo's plane also. I wonder if part of his like hesitation to trust echo or like believe in the dreams he's talking about is because the last time he ha- i'm pretty sure the last time he had a dream it was um was his last dream about the plane i can't remember uh, if that was like his first or his la- i don't remember but i'm not sh- i'm not sure if he's had any um since then but i guess like regardless i wonder if maybe that hesitation is because that dream is like ultimately what led to boone dying you know mm-hmm. or wait did that happen after boone died now i'm confused the freaking up song is stuck in my head now that 100 and you know how they play that in the disney parks that's where my brain is right now it's just walking around disney oh guys remember when we went to disney man i miss that every single day is this copyright uh no because we're singing it so technically it's a cover yeah it happens on youtube anyway though yeah but youtube's evil yeah true okay 
Uh, Echo keeps trying to make sense of the map, but Locke is no help due to him having seen it once for like 20 seconds and not even know if it's a map or not. I could never remember it. No. They come across the Nigerian plane and Locke talks about Boone and how he died. I mean, someone remembered Boone. Mm -hmm. That's nice. So Locke didn't draw the map, he just transcribed it like we were talking about before. Um, It's the first time he's showing someone, so he's kind of self-conscious about it. I mean, who knows if his art skills are up to par. So true. Yeah. Um, And seeing the... (laughs) Wait, what the... Ma'am? I wrote, seeing the Mary statues gives the idea to go to the plane and also to use the heroine later. You mean gives the... puts it in the audience's mind? Maybe. Maybe. Who's to say? Or it's like, does it, does seeing the Mary statue give them then the idea to go to the plane? But then I'm like, but Locke wasn't there for the heroine later. Like that was a Jack thing. Yeah. So it must be about the audience. Yeah. I don't know. The statues were, the statues were very present this episode. Totally. Like the, uh, the shot of like the broken head, um, Mm -hmm. like before it pans out and like shows Kate sitting there crying. Like there was a lot of a religious sim- Symbolism. Symbolism. Thank you. <laughs> so they're already at the plane and they talk about how Boone made it fall and he says that it was the sacrifice sacrifice that the island demanded. So you guys both believe in the same thing. Yeah. Why are you fighting? <laughs> because, okay, I don't think Echo wants to be the special one, mm-hmm. but I think Locke wants to be the chosen one. Right. Know? Echo doesn't want to be the special one, but he's like, if there needs to be a special one, I'm, I'm willing to be done for it to be me. Yeah. Like, I don't think Echo has any agenda beyond I'm going to follow this journey that someone else seems to be in control of because I think that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Whereas when he, when Locke gets that same message, he's like, I am the most special person who has ever lived. And I'm like, listen, if it happened to me, I'm not going to say I wouldn't also think that. I think you're pretty special. Hey, thanks, man. You're welcome. I think you're pretty special, too. Thanks. Casey, I also think you're special. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. That means so much to me. I think you guys are really special, too. Oh, thanks. <sighs> this is a really good squad. I think maybe we're all special. Hey, Kobe. 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 <gasps> Kobe's the most special. Kobe, I think you are special. <laughs> He's looking at me. He's literally glaring. You're a special little boy. He's like, I hate you guys. Okay. Echo sees Yemi. Yemi instructs him to climb the cliff. At the top, Yemi's in a wheelchair and tells him to wake up. Turns out it was John's dream. Hmm. That was weird. So Locke dreams as Echo. Is the island trying to tell him to believe Echo? Like, what is the, like, what exactly is going on here for it to have been Locke's dream? Spoiler thoughts. Okay, write that down. Okay. Don't forget. Okay. One thing that I think is a really, really dope a really awesome detail is that Locke has like a broken leg, right? Yes. And so he's limping. He's on crutches. So when Yemi says, Echo, come this way, if you're paying attention, Echo is limping <gasps> towards Yemi. I totally didn't even notice that. Yeah. Oh, heck. So it's like you can kind of tell, like, why why you would assume that ahead of time. But well, like, they thought about it. But they but there's definitely detail in there. God bless. But yeah, it's confusing to make sense of when it's actually John's dream. Because he, he says... Be quiet, you'll wake John. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of confusing. Yeah. So it's like they the reason why he was told to bring the axe was so that he could climb the cliff. Then he, Yemi at the top of the cliff is in the wheelchair and then he falls from the cliff, which is like boom. Yes. So a lot of it does make sense. It's, there's why, a lot of lock symbolism. There's a here. lot of lock yeah. stuff in here. It's just a little confusing as to why he was 
playing Echo in this time other than like to make him so that he believes Echo slash Echo knowing things about the dream that John had helps convince Locke that they're on the same wavelength maybe. Yeah it it helps put him on Echo's team. Okay. Because now not only does he believe but they're both heading toward the same goal as Mm -hmm. you said so they don't have to be in competition with each other. Locke doesn't have to hide things because the island is now working with both of them. Gotcha. John wakes with a start. Echo questions him knowing that he's had an an important dream. John tells him about it and Echo climbs just like in the dream. So he saw Yemi. Um, Locke knows that it isn't just a dream. Yeah. Like, he's had these before. It's a premonition, sort of, or a message, I would say. This is pretty quick, but, like, the last thing that I had about this was just that, once again, someone else needs to climb this exact cliff because his legs aren't working. Yep. Oh my god. I didn't even think about that. Because last time, it was Boone who had to climb up there, and Locke's legs, he just lost feeling in his legs Mm -hmm. because the island took away the feeling so that Locke wouldn't climb up there and die. Yeah. Okay, so that's crazy. So Echo has to climb because Locke's legs aren't working again. Okay, That so exact cliff. I have a question for the group. Okay. Have you ever startled awake from a dream like that? Yes. Oh, t- for sure. Yeah? Mm-hmm. All the time. I'm a big startler. I... Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> like, sounds oh. like a Pokemon. <laughs> startler! Startler! All the time on, like planes and stuff like when i fall asleep i'll jerk awake and i'll petrify the person next to me and it's really embarrassing (laughs) it's okay i've done it too okay i um i start a little awake a lot especially because i started snoring and um do you like scare yourself awake i i on god yes i do (gasps) oh my god Brittany. I told you I'm an old man, but one time I remember being startled awake and I was hysterically laughing because in the dream I was doing the limbo. (laughs) And you fell? And I fell and I woke up laughing. That's so funny. And like that was one of the happiest like times I've ever woken up. Like I remember waking up and laughing and feeling so at peace. (laughs) Frank, that's so funny. I swear to God, I have not felt peace since then. (laughs) So Echo gets to the top of the cliff and looks down seeing a question mark in the brush. He calls it a circle later, like a target. But like, in my mind, I've always seen it like as the actual question mark. That's an actual question mark. Yeah. So maybe he just got confused. I don't know. Either way, the axe is for climbing. He is up where his brother and his associates sat for many years. Yes. In where the plane was. In the cockpit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he sees the question mark. So that one's kind of, that's a, that's a small one. After climbing down, Echo inspects the earth and where the grass isn't growing. He finds it salted by eating it. That was a, a choice. choice. <laughs> they snoop around and find a hatch door. They move the plane out of the way and open it. So the earth has been salted. Hi, my name is uh, Mr. Echo and I eat dirt. Hi, Mr. Echo. We're here at Dirt Eaters Anonymous. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that it's okay that you eat dirt. I just need you to not do it. And we're here to help. He really doesn't have a problem putting unknown substances in his mouth. He, he did the same thing with the hair. Yeah. yeah. Like, mm, all right. That's a fun hobby, that. I guess. <laughs> That's cute and fun and fresh. So then he says that it's a target they made. Sir, are you talking about aliens? Yes. Because that's what people say about crop circles. Oh my god. I'm pretty sure he's talking about the others. Yeah, I think so too. Why would they need to see the pearl from above? Well, damn, Gina, I don't know. I don't even know. That's why I think it's just the question mark. I don't know. Honestly, someone got bored while they were landscaping and decided to do it for the hell of it. Yeah. They're like, a circle. It's a perfect circle, though. Way to go. Yeah. So he also uses the axe to open the door, but Locke really wants to open it um, because he wants his own hatch and he's finally (laughs) excited again. I think it's really cool, though, that Mr. Echo, like, happily stepped aside and was like, yeah, 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 yeah. 
you do it. I was a little confused by that because they end up opening it together anyway, and so mm-hmm. I was like, what is Locke even asking? But I realized re-watching it that Echo was going to just do it by himself. Yeah, he has to be a part of it. But I don't know if he could have, because it looked really heavy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, but either way, Locke is enthusiastic about a hatch again, which is nice, but then unfortunately, once he gets down there, it's completely dashed. Yep. Um, the hatch, like the uh, shaft of the hatch... I wish you hadn't said that. Uh, what other word should I use? <laughs> the the down part. Let's go with the down part. <laughs> the it's dar- It's the it's the shape of the Dharma logo. And the swan's door wasn't, so that's why it's interesting. And the staff's wasn't either. Oh. My next question was, was the pearl made after the swan? Um, no. The pearl was made before. I can say that. Mm. Um, I have a lot more spoilers about the pearl later, um, but the pearl was made before the swan, which is why it's confusing that there are so they're so all about watching the swan. Uh, okay. Because it was made before the swan. And so in the orientation film, is he not talking about the swan? I thought he was. He is. I But the uh, swan was made after. I think they knew that the swan was going to be made. This doesn't work in my tiny head. I, right. I'm, so maybe that was it. Yeah, I, I I don't think they built the pearl without knowing its purpose. Right. Does it watch any of the other stations? I think the oh, I think we only see it watch the swan, but like who knows, maybe Oh no wait! <gasps> no, spoilers. Yeah, never yep. mind, sorry, yep. it can watch other stations. Yep. My bad. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just uh, roll just eat that sentence right yep. back in. Uh, Echo and Locke head down the Oh, I wrote the shaft again, sorry. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and I wish you wouldn't. Sorry. They see televisions, papers, empty notebooks, and a dusty, dusty VHS tape entitled Orientation. Neat. Uh, Echo probably told Locke to stay up there, and Locke was like, nope. He goes <laughs> down the ladder with a very bad leg. We out. So we have the pearl, and the logo is just a white circle because pearl. Oh, there was a fun fact about this, actually, that the light that turns on, the the hand that turns on the light, like there's a little <gasps> dial. Damon's. That's Damon Sorry. Lindelof's hand. Oh. Did you read Lostpedia as well? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So the TV's turned on, I guess, like, with the power. When they turn on the power, I guess the TV is also turned on. Okay, so uh, my next note was, what is the stuff on the table? Am I dumb? Um, We had a long discussion about this. An ashtray? I thought it was an ashtray. Yeah, it was, like, a cigarette, but then there was also, like, a bunch of, like, white stuff around it. And I was like, I don't know what that is. So I did some more research, and um, in the Pearl, it says, The stubbed-out cigarette on one of the tables in the Pearl points to recent visitors and likely was left by one of the others visiting the station. I love that we had to look up whether or not a cigarette was a cigarette. <laughs> I, I was like, I was like, is it chalk? Like, I was so confused. Well, it didn't have, like, the butt, so that's why it yeah. was kind of confusing. But, yeah. like, of course, it would be sort of like a hand-rolled cigarette mm-hmm. because it's an island. You don't get brand name cigarettes with right. filters. Filter, that's the brown thing, right? The filter? Yeah. I don't know. I don't smoke. I don't know anything about cigarettes. I do. <laughs> why do you know things about cigarettes, Robin? Because I did, uh, I did four tours with an anti-tobacco program. Why did I ask you that when I already knew? Yeah, I was a little confused yeah. about why I got asked. Listen, I'm, an, I'm clueless. So it's watching the swan and Jack is there. You can see Jack. The others have been using this question mark. Must have been. It's like maybe that's how they knew that where Henry was. Yeah, which means that the entire thing, of course, for Locke has been a setup. Mm -hmm. And have they not been there since the plane landed? Yeah. 
So wouldn't they have known everything about them the whole time? I know for a fact that they were there before the plane went down. Some questions weren't meant to be answered. Okay, anyway. The, the timeline's confusing. Yeah. Talk about a question mark, am I right? <laughs> Seriously. You can go. Thank you, I'll see myself out. But there are also cameras. There <laughs> are also cameras here, which, so they're also being watched. The Pearl is also being watched. You are being watched. The government has a secret system, a machine that spies on you every hour of every day. I know. I built it. The birds work for the bourgeoisie. <laughs> I was going for another Michael Emerson reference and you just went somewhere else. So they try and log in. So they, okay so there's a login and you get the paper with all of the times the buttons had been pushed. Right, 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 right. Um, all of the button pushes start with 416. Yeah I noticed that the um the numbers weren't the same like when it was. This going- is like dates. Oh, it is. Oh, okay. Dates and time. I thought it was recording what the, what was pressed mm. in before the button, and I was like, why doesn't it have the full sequence? No, it's just... So it's just another Easter egg. Right, but all okay. of them start with 416. Okay, okay, okay. Which okay. is... Some numbers. Yeah. Just some, just some random ones, though. There's also empty notebooks and the air chute, and then we have the orientation uh, video. Candleman is out here using a new candle-themed name for this video. He explains that this is the pearl. It's used to watch the people that are being experimented on in the swan. The people in the swan believe that it's real. Locke is devastated that everything he's worked for has been for nothing. He doesn't want to watch it again. I mean, I understand. Imagine you're having, having your... Am I okay? Imagine having your entire faith system unraveled in one video. Mm-hmm. It's big, uh, big Truman Show vibes. <gasps> totally. Yes! That but, movie messed me up. Oh, same. Same. Watched it once, never watched it again. It was terrifying. I had... I had no idea going in what it was going to be about. So when it got to the twist, I was like, hang on. What? <laughs> oh, you, oh, yeah. I had no clue. I watched it when I was maybe too young to see it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, but anyway, uh, going a little uh, less deep there. Um, this dust, is it dust or sawdust? Because, bro, that's thick and gross. Yeah, it's like real nasty looking. It's not cute. No. It's very thick, especially for like a sealed hatch. Yeah. Maybe because people like keep smoking in it too. So yeah. it just oh, makes so everything around there yeah. nasty. So this is the second orientation video that we see. And we get uh, Mark Wickmond. Last time his name was Marvin Candle. So like how fun would it be to be like a huge stan at this time and be like, wait, that's not his name. Like, That'd be so fun. Like, it probably goes over most people's heads, but if you're, like, actually paying attention, you're like, wait, that's not his name. And you, like, if it were us, and this happened on a show, we would just assume that the writers forgot they gave him a name and they gave him a new one. Not with Lost. No, but I mean, if we were watching a show like Lost oh, now, we yeah. might assume that. Right. But, like, we definitely would have caught it. Yeah. 100%. Oh, for sure. For sure. 100%. Well, we and, would have and by we, of course, you mean you, because... Well, I just feel like that whole episode when we first got Orientation, which I think is 203... We would have been calling him Marvin Candle. Yeah. Right. Mr. Candle. Mr. Please. Candle. Hey, I know a thing or two about candles. Just saying. Go follow Lost and Found. Hey, tell us more about that. Go follow Lost and Found Candle Company. Thank you so much. Yay. Thank you. It's not really a company. It's just me, but you know. <laughs> They're way better candles than um, Ooh. Bed Bath & Beyond Candles. Sorry, Ooh. I said it. I meant um, it. Bath & Body Works? Wow. <laughs> you know you know why I said, okay, this is why I got messed up. Because there are three stores here in Canada. There's Bed Bath & Beyond, Bath & Body Works, and The Body Shop. Yeah. And I knew if I picked one of them, I'd be in the right direction. We have all of those in America, too. Just You have The Body Shop in America? Yes, ma'am. Oh, didn't know that. Well, great. Now I look like a clown twice over. Thanks a lot, jackasses. Clown shoes a squeaking. Always. So, the psychological experiment lasts three weeks. 
Um, and the two people who are working in the Pearl do eight-hour shifts. Ah, that's number. Any minute details all need to be recorded. Your tour of duty in the Pearl will last three weeks. And during this time, you and your partner will observe a psychological experiment in progress. Your duty is to observe team members in another station on the island. These team members are not aware that they are under surveillance or that they are the subjects of an experiment. Working in eight-hour shifts, you and your partner will record everything you observe in the notebooks we provided. What is the nature of the experiment, you might ask? What do these subjects believe they are accomplishing as they struggle to fulfill their tasks? You, as the observer, don't need to know. All you need to know is the subjects believe their job is of the utmost importance. I just wanted to give a shout out to our guy, Terry, who has to act Locke losing every ounce of faith he ever had in the island. Oof. Yeah. And so he good. knocks it out of the park, and I appreciate him. It's so good. It's a real uh, opposite of a come to Jesus moment. Then he talks about the Pala Ferry, uh, which I can say a little bit about now, but um, is also some spoiler stuff. So Dharma Pala is a type of wrathful deity in Buddhism. The name means Dharma Defender in Sanskrit. And the Dharmapalas are also known as the defenders of the law or the protectors of the law in English. Pala is a utopian island in a book called Island by Aldous Huxley, who also wrote Brave New World. So it being called the Pala Ferry is really interesting. Like it's a ferry at like a boat. Yeah. The Pala Empire was in control of the northern and eastern Indian subcontinent regions from the 8th to 12th centuries. The first emperor was the first independent Buddhist king of the region and was followed by his son, Dharmapala. The Pala Empire built many temples in India before coming under the attack of the Hindu Sena dynasty. So anyway, the use of Pala as the name of the fairy, it's there. Yes. But he also mentions the barracks. Which Um, is sleeping quarters. Which is the first time that we hear that. Yes. Interesting. Hmm. (laughs) They might be important. And she'll say nothing more on that topic. Thank you. Exactly. And after the first orientation, iconic. We're going to need to watch that again. Iconic. Yep. And so the fact that Echo goes, do you want to watch it again? And Locke says, no. You're like, ooh, he's really messed up. Like, he got all he needed out of that. Thanks so much. My whole life is a lie, he says. And I don't know why I wrote this, but I just said that Locke looks like he wants to cry and he probably just really doesn't want to tell Jack because he had that whole thing with Jack, especially in 203. Why do you find it so hard to believe? Why do you find it so easy? Why do you find it so easy? And Locke was so adamant that it meant something and now he's learned that it doesn't. Echo still believes that they need to press the button. Locke is incredulous. He feels like he's never been special and his life has been a waste. So how could Echo think that this work is important after seeing that video? That was my question as well, and I honestly don't have an answer. Mm -hmm. If I had to try and guess, um, it seems to me that in some ways, Echo and Locke, they're both men of faith, but I think Echo tends to be more... uh, a man of logic in a way that Locke isn't necessarily always. And perhaps seeing this video and seeing that the swan was built for a purpose and the button was built for a purpose. I mean, that purpose was simply to take part in an experiment and to be observed. But perhaps seeing that like, seeing the reason why it was even built in the first place kind of gives him faith in a way, whereas it does the opposite for Locke because Locke can't see 
any purpose beyond what the video just showed, kind of. Like, Locke is looking for some big spiritual purpose and maybe trying to look for it in places that aren't there. Whereas... Yeah. I don't, I don't know if any of this is making sense. Um, no, I think you're on the right track because I think it implies that Locke was hyper-focused on one area of the much bigger picture that Echo can see. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think that's a... That's kind of like the biggest way they differ is that Echo is a little bit better at seeing the bigger picture and Locke tends to really focus in on one thing or one aspect, kind of. Especially if it like directly involves him. Like he doesn't want to think about the higher implications of, okay, well, why was this an experiment? Who is Dharma? Why were we brought here? Why was Yemi's plane around? All Locke's thinking about is, oh my god, I'm not special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, I, like I get it. Like, if I were Locke, I'd be thinking that too. And it almost seems like the more questions that present themselves to Locke, the more frustrated Locke gets. He's like, I don't want questions. I just want the answer. Whereas Echo seems a little bit more fascinated and enlightened by the questions. Like, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, look at how many like unknown things there are about the universe and maybe the whole reason why we're here is to not to solve all of them but to find out what there is to be answered and uh i don't know i think oddly that reflects how people consumed the show like a lot of people were impatient like Locke, and just wanted all the answers and a lot of people like just enjoy the journey yeah like they're there for the journey and want to like just sort of see where it takes them and you know i don't require all the answers as long as i understand things that are important to me mm-hmm. and like I think you know I don't know if the writer is like intended for any of that but I do think there is a little bit of commentary on how you conduct yourself in your beliefs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I totally think that's like especially towards like season six of where people were just getting rabid for answers mm-hmm. and how they reacted to the finale like this is kind of like a good comparison there yeah even if they weren't like intending to do that I think that's like the perfect analogy like the people who just wanted answers that made sense versus the people who were just fascinated by the like open-endedness of it all yeah the world yeah so who are you more inclined to agree to agree with echo I want to know all about like a lot of shows naming no names focus in on very small things in a very big world I want to know about the big world you know yeah what about you Casey I would say I'm more inclined to like believe echo but i also like can totally understand john yeah why did i just call him john he's Locke. that's weird i don't that was weird (laughs) weird flex casey um (laughs) and i don't know why this is like drawing so many parallels to this in my mind right now but i can't help but think about um turtles all the way down by john green great book Mm -hmm. there's this one it's okay how do i describe this okay the book is essentially about this like person with uh obsessive tendencies and like deeply ingrained anxiety and uh it's kind of about like her journey like through anxiety and one of the like biggest uh images throughout the book is kind of like the image of a spiral and the character kind of starts out trapped in this never-ending spiral going like deeper and deeper into it getting more entwined in the intricacies of it and then no spoilers but by the end of the book uh she kind of learns how to view her anxiety as less of something spiraling inward and more of something spiraling outward and kind of learning how to take 
uh, comfort and solace in in kind of the open-endedness of everything and not having control over everything. Oh, can you hear my Alexa right now? Yes, yeah. Yes, okay. Sorry, it's reminding us to tell my dog that he's a good boy. <laughs> oh my god! Every night at 8.37 p.m. it says, this is your reminder. Tell Jasper he's oh a good boy. God. Oh my that. god. Just so we never forget. Awesome. Totally lost my train of thought now. Um, spiral, spiral. Okay, so this is turning into a long tangent. Um, but I like it. Uh, what were we talking about before this? Locke. Uh, we were talking about who you are more inclined to agree with if you're agreeing with Locke or Echo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that Echo kind of represents more of that outward spiral, the more acceptance and... Uh, kind of taking comfort in not always having control, whereas Locke is kind of stuck in the in that spiral inward, you know. So even though I align with Echo, I also like totally can emotionally understand Locke. Like thinking about it that way, thinking about it in terms of that book, like especially as a person like with anxiety, I can totally understand him not being able to see past like what's immediately in front of him you know yeah that was a long tangent to get to that i'm sorry you no, got there good. no bud i i read turtles all the way down the day that it came out um but i read it in like the full i read the full thing in 24 hours and so like i don't i don't feel like i got the total scope of the book like i should have done and i definitely do for a re reread oh, it's such a good book it's so good mm-hmm. highly recommend everyone go buy it <laughs> any john green book uh my favorite is i really love paper towns because i love a mystery that's fascinating paper towns was not my favorite hmm at least in the moment i don't know i'll have to reread it looking for alaska is my baby i just i remember reading it and being like what's gonna happen next yeah yeah, yeah. like i i found it suspenseful yeah it definitely was it was good i mean i loved it he talks about rats in a maze with no cheese, which I have spoiler thoughts on. Uh, we do it because we believe we are meant to, not because it actually does anything, is kind of what Echo is saying. Did you want to talk about the chairs? Locke was sitting in a chair. Oh, I just found it interesting. At one point, he's having this discussion and like, you know, in terms of power dynamics, Echo is now standing above him, right? And mm. like Locke is sitting down. But Locke is sitting in something that moves very much and evokes a wheelchair. Mm. And I just thought that was interesting. I don't know if that's like, you know, anything purposeful, but I did think it was interesting that at his most vulnerable and all his lost moment, he's back in a chair. Right, right. Yeah. But he feels like he was never meant to do anything and he feels pathetic and useless, which I see on Terry's face, so I believe it. Oh, it hurts. That's a, that's a, a joke. Rats. In a maze, with no cheese. It is work, John. We are being tested. Tested? The reason to do it, push the button, is not because we are told to do so in a film. Well, then what is the reason, Mr. Echo? We do it because we believe we are meant to. Isn't that the reason you pushed it, John? I was never meant to do anything! Every single second of my pathetic little life is as useless as that button! You think it's important? You think it's necessary? It's nothing. It's nothing. It's meaningless. 
And who are you to tell me that it's not? Uh, in the last scene in this storyline, um, Echo explains that the reason he knows he's meant to do this is because of all of the crazy coincidences that have happened. Which, like, he's don't mis- he's the guy who said don't mistake coincidence for fate. Yep. And here he is now. There's been so many coincidences that he has been forced to believe that it's been fate. Yep. To be fair, he probably has the most coincidences of everyone on the show, so I get it. Yeah. If John won't push the button anymore, Echo will. I... Love this. Our whole thing with Riverdale is that they do a lot of exposition. <laughs> Recently, they've done exposition in which they are giving us exposition for something that happened this episode. <laughs> which is my favorite thing. <laughs> like, I understand giving us exposition for the previous few episodes, even like the past few seasons. But at some point, they started giving us exposition for something that happened 20 minutes ago. And I'm like, <laughs> why, why is this happening? Frankly, iconic. But... What I love about this is that Echo's entire speech is exposition, but he says it with such conviction that you don't notice. Oh, yeah. It's also a credit to the directing because in a lot of those Riverdale scenes, we are in wide shots. We're not focused on anything. We're not watching the actors' faces intently. The The shot of Echo is so close on his face that you can't even see his whole face. Mm-hmm. Like, it's you're just focused directly on what he's emoting with the most, which is just, like, his eyes. So, like, it makes total sense. Like, it's... a it's a good combination of good writing, great acting, and great directing. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Whereas with Riverdale, I'm uh, going to refrain from commenting. <laughs> it's great. Recent convert. Highly recommend. I, 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 love, I love Riverdale in the same way that I just hate Riverdale. It's like knowing that when this comes out that Riverdale's finally going to be back from hiatus. Is I'm just like, I'm so waiting. excited. I'm just yeah. waiting. I love that. I love that <laughs> trash fire. I love it's it. ours and we treasure it. So Echo says, how can you say that this is meaningless? And if Locke doesn't press the button, then he's going to press the button. And he does. I love it. So, great. This is like... At least someone's taking up the cars. <laughs> that line is so ridiculous in the moment. Like, take away the music, take away, like, all the meaning, and it's just this guy going, if you're not going to press the button, I will. I'm going to press the button. I will. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> but, like, oh, it's so good. Do you guys have any other thoughts about anything on the island, other than spoilers, obviously? No. Uh, no. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Robin. Could you tell me about Patreon? Sorry, I'm actually really busy watching the Jonas Brothers have a fake fight on Instagram. Hey, Casey. Hey, Robin. Could you tell me about Patreon? I would be absolutely honored to tell you about If you're not watching the Jonas Brothers have a fake fight on Instagram. No. No, I am not. Okay. I would love to- Oh, great. Okay. Yes, continue. I would love to tell you about Patreon. Patreon is this incredible service that does um, a lot of amazing work for uh, independent creators and artists. Um, so it is this, uh, service where you can donate monthly to your favorite creators. And, uh, I don't know if you know this, but the aficionados actually have a Patreon. We do? It's crazy. I didn't know that. It's crazy. And their, uh, lowest donation starts at a dollar a month. (gasps) That's not that much. Can you believe that? I... That's quite affordable. I barely have a job, but I can do that. (laughs) I would I would love to help out my favorite creators um, at the aficionados, um, Robin and Brittany. Wholesome. So uh, yeah, if you'd like to help them out, uh, all the costs go right back into the podcast, um, and they really appreciate it because uh, you may not know this, but podcasting, especially when you have like I don't know five, se- how many podcasts do you have? Yeah, uh, five. Uh, five. It's expensive. It is expensive, and so uh, they they really appreciate your help. Oh, is there anything that? people get for being a patron it's crazy you know like i would just donate out of the kindness of my heart uh but you do actually like get some (laughs) cool rewards (laughs) (laughs) um like you get early access to the pods sometimes 
uh, a day early. Sometimes, like with the Lost podcast, where Robin has more time to edit, you get them like up uh, a week in advance, maybe. Oh. Sometimes, sometimes you you get them in advance. It's crazy. One never knows. And uh, and uh, what else do you get? Um, um, well, there is one other thing, but it's like yearly. Oh yeah, uh, every year on their anniversary, they'll send out a postcard for you, and it's not just like just like a blank postcard, you know. They write they write a personalized note on it, and even though um, uh, I spent like a long time in September with these goons, they still um, uh, wrote me a lovely little uh, friendship note on my anniversary card, and it was nice. So that is nice. Yeah. Uh, we, we we're very kind. Um, I just have one last (laughs) question for you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, what if somebody can't donate for any reason? Oh my goodness. Been there. Don't worry about it at all. Totally understandable. You got to take care of you first. Okay. Like (laughs) pay that rent, get those groceries, like get those candles, (laughs) buy some candles at lost and found candle co. Thank you so much. Um, if you can't donate, that's totally fine. Next best thing you can do, recommend them to a friend. Listen, mm-hmm. listen to a pod when you're carpooling to school or when you're when you're going on a road trip or if someone's like, hey, I'm, I'm going on a, a trip soon. Do you have any like good music you would recommend? Just be like, uh, no, but I do have some podcasts. Let me tell you about the affection. <laughs> uh, no, music is for lamos. Yeah, listen. Says a woman who literally cannot live without music. <laughs> me literally just sang Jaquino's praises. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't say that when I'm a publicist. Oh, yeah, gosh. You're really failing at your job already. You're probably going to get fired. I hope not. You might. Thanks, Casey. Hey. I've learned so much about Patreon. No problem. So uh, you can you can go to patreon.com slash theaffectionados. The, uh, the link will also be in the description of this podcast. So you have no excuse for being too lazy to type it in your search bar. Thanks. Mm-hmm. So true. Great. All right, here oh. we go for the flashes. I have, I have like a lot of thoughts about the corner, just to be clear. Like a lot of thoughts. I have, I was surprised by how short the flashbacks were. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of them. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Echo is working as a priest in Australia. He listens to a man's confession and it starts to sound a little familiar. Caldwell, which is the guy's name, gives Echo the fake, the fake Australian passport and says he can get him a job in LA. Echo, aka Father Tundies, Monsignor, tells him to postpone his trip because he needs to go investigate a miracle. Hmm. So he's hearing the confession. The guy's name is Caldwell. Echo seems really bored in confession, but like, I'm a huge gossip and I want to know the tea. Even though you can't share it with anybody because, you know, you've taken an oath or whatever. 100% you want to know the tea. I want to know the tea, you know? So he's like, hey, I slept with somebody that wasn't my wife. And he goes, just once or many times. And he goes, he goes something like, how many is many? Any any, any more than once, bud. One is too many. (laughs) Stop. Stop. Maybe stop. What are you, my father? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Wait, Wait, with my own fucking <laughs> So, obviously, he would have taken oath to be private, but still. So, he gets his new passport. It has dates such as... I did this. I, I, I paused on my TV and I took extensive notes about his fake passport. Okay. Please, why don't, why don't you take over? Well, uh, we have some numbers going on on the passport. Would you like to hear about those? I would love to. Um, according to this passport, uh, his birthday is uh, August 23rd, 1968. 23rd? That's a number. Uh, August? Eight. August? The eighth, the eighth month of, of, the, tw- of the 12 months? The, eight, yeah. the eighth month of the year? The 23rd day of the eighth month? Uh-huh. And then, and then mm-hmm. 68. That's, 
not a number. This, uh, yeah. But uh, that would make him 36. I did the math. At the time of this? Uh, yes. Which is 2004? Uh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So assuming that, yeah, 2004. Um, if his birthday was in 1968. Um, and it was uh, issued April 16th, 2004. Is that the fourth month? That's the fourth month of the year. And the f- and the 16th day? And the 16th day in the year. Whoa, that's in 2004? Crazy. In the year of 04. Hmm. It's the day before my mom's birthday. Wow. Uh, that's all I had for numbers. Did you have any more numbers on it? I thought there was also an April 15th somewhere. I had April 15th. Oh, I think that might be uh, the date it expires. Yes. Okay, yeah. I was like, there's April 15th and there's April yeah, 15th. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's in 04. You're right, you're right. So this is an Australian passport. He is in Australia right now, so it makes sense. Checks out. Checks out. The dude says he can get him a job in LA. So great. That's where he's going. They call him Father Tundi. It is assumed that that potentially could have been him and Yemi's last name, but it's not confirmed. So we don't know if that's like an alias he goes by or if that was Yemi's actual name. Interesting. If you go on his Lostpedia page, it says Echo, potentially Echo Tundi. That could be his last name. Because we don't know what it is. Okay. So yeah. He has to postpone his trip because of a miracle. And he's like, why does it have to be me? I'm like, because that's kind of heckin' rude for you to be like, I know you're going on a trip, but do this for me or whatever. And the psychic Richard Malkin, who we see very soon here, he will have literally just talked to Claire. Like literally, like he's currently like calling Claire all the time, you know? Because like literally like the next day, he like meets up with Claire to give her the tickets, right? Mm-hmm. I have lots of thoughts about Richard Malkin as well. Um, and I'm excited to talk about them. So yeah, um, Echo meets with Joyce Malkin, who tells him that the daughter, that her daughter drowned and came back to life. It was a miracle and we need to tell the Vatican immediately. When she leaves, Echo tells the Monsignor to choose someone else to investigate because he thinks this lady is BS. But that's why he <laughs> was chosen in the first place. So uh, I have um, some thoughts on this because I DM'd our friend Claire Willett about what the heck they're doing an investigation for miracles about because I didn't know they did that and I needed to get some answers. Oh, you didn't know that they investigate miracles? No. So it's like I asked a really her, big part of the Vatican's job. Yeah, I asked her some questions about it and um, here we go. So I DM'd our friend Claire who is at Claire Willett. Um, she fancy. Uh, she She's writes fancy. books. So you should go and check them out because maybe there's some really cool character names that you would uh, recognize in the second book of her trilogy. Hmm. Just saying. Hmm. Um, but yeah, we also, I can't remember exactly what she calls her her segments, but it's like uh, Claire's... Claire's uh, Catholic Corner? Catholic Claire's- Or something, or something. Yeah, I feel like it's it was a long name. Um, but either way, I, I DM'd her. I said, do you know anything about the church having to do an investigation into supposed miracles? She said, I only know about the Catholic way. They have a whole tribunal to investigate them because that's how you become a saint. To get canonized there has to be three miracles performed in your name. I said, I'm just asking because of the echo flashbacks in question mark. They're talking about how the Vatican could be interested. She said, oh yes, the Vatican would send someone to investigate if there were credible rumors of miracles. The investigator used to be called the devil's advocate. That's where that phrase comes from. Their job was basically to start from the assumption that the miracle was BS and try to disprove it. And if they couldn't, then they decided it was real. So that makes sense as to why Echo was chosen because Echo automatically doesn't believe it. Yeah, right. he's the, he's the devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. Then I said, thank you. She said, I love being the fictionalist honorary Catholicism and gaming consultant. <laughs> because we had her on the Riverdale podcast to talk about D&D. It's true, we did. <laughs> so um, thank you to Claire for figuring that out because I didn't know anything about that. I only know about it from horror movies. I'm going to be straight with you. Okay. And that wasn't a wholesome way to discover it. So I'm glad that Claire stepped in. Great. <laughs> 
Um, so Charlotte, she drowned, but now she's back to life. Um, it's kind of, it, I think it's supposed to parallel Libby because at the end of last episode, she died, but she came back came to back life, to life yeah. very, um, shortly. Cause she dies obviously at the mm-hmm. end of this episode. Uh, whereas we can assume that Charlotte continued to live afterwards. Yeah. Need to tell people about the miracle. Obviously her husband doesn't agree. And then we see him and we know who he is. The church has to do the investigation into it being a miracle via Claire's DMs. Of course. My daughter, she, she drowned. I'm very sorry for your loss. Oh no, you don't understand. She came back to life. We were out in the back blocks and Charlotte must have slipped and she went into the river and she's not much of a swimmer. She was dead and the next day she woke up. Don't you understand? It's a miracle. A confirmation of faith. I noticed that Echo's face falls a little every time that he's called Father Tundi. Is it because it's a lie and an alias or because it was Yemi's title? Maybe both. Yeah, both like, things. He's an imposter. We literally, yeah, we don't know. Yeah. We genuinely don't know. We hear that the woman's last name is Malkin. So if you're a Stan, like I said, you can kind of already guess who her husband is. Mm-hmm. Because you're in Australia and you already knew that his name was Richard Malkin. So... Echo was chosen because he doesn't believe in her. Does he believe in miracles at all at this point? At this point, I I don't think so. No. At this point in his life with what he's seen and what he's done, it would be a miracle for him to believe in miracles. Right. Uh, Okay, now it's time for me to talk about the coroner. (laughs) My God, here we go. What's up with you and coroners? Oh. (laughs) Hello, Dr. Curdle Jr. Are you here? It has nothing with the, uh, to do with the fact that they're coroners, just to be clear. <laughs> they just have a weird fascination with characters who happen to be coroners. That has nothing to do with anything. Okay. <laughs> Echo goes to see the coroner to continue his investigation. Dr. McVeigh, his name is Ian, Dr. Ian McVeigh, explains that he started the autopsy and Charlotte woke up and started screaming. He even has it on tape. He tells Echo to please take it because he never wants to hear it again. So this is Ian. Fun fact, the dialogue and subtitles say that his name is Ian, but in the credits... He is credited as Ivan. Oh, dear. Awkward. So I think that was a typo. <laughs> sure, 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 sure. So they talk about how the Vatican might be interested. She was in the water for two hours. He mentions that he has experience in this. Uh, he says that he's an undertaker, but he is qualified to be a coroner because he says that he's an undertaker and Echo kind of looks at him because that implies that why are you being a coroner if you're not a coroner. Yeah. And he says, don't worry that he's didn't do anything wrong. He's qualified to be a coroner. And she ended up waking up in the autopsy. I mean, even then, it wouldn't be his fault. It would be the doctor who pronounced her dead's fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you, you get a shot of his desk and it, the notes say Honolulu. <laughs> oh, no. Even though it's supposed to take place in Australia. So that was an oops slash an Easter egg. I, I would say maybe an Easter egg. Yeah. Like, why else would you leave that in there? So on the tape, he's flirting with his assistant, whose name is Valerie. And that's when Charlotte starts screaming. And he says that he doesn't want to ever listen to it again. So here's the part that I want to talk about. Valerie. What was it like in that room? Oh, God. Horrifying. I'd rather not talk about that. Charlotte would have been terrified, screaming, mm-hmm. naked, mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Naked and afraid. Cold. Mm-hmm. And then she would have just seen these two people in, like, masks with scalpels. That would be, like, a literal nightmare, actually. So, I guess what I wanted to really talk about was the fact that he gives him the tape and says, I don't ever want to hear that again. Because if Ian is a chill dude, mm-hmm. which we assume that he is, mm-hmm. it was just some chill flirting with Valerie, mm-hmm. right? Valerie giggles. She thinks it's fine. 
Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, there's a dead body in front of you, but like, you teach their own. You do what you own. gotta do in your own workplace. I can't imagine not only what it would have been like for Charlotte, but the fact that he's standing there and like he realizes that he like full on potentially like assaulted this woman. Well, like almost mm-hmm. killed her. Almost killed this woman by accident. Like, this has never happened to him before, obviously. Yeah, I'm gonna say, go ahead and say no. So, anyway, I guess I just like feel for him because he was just trying to do his job. And now he's going to think about this for the rest of his life. Yeah. And that's why he's like, please just take it away. Yeah, that would haunt That would haunt you. Yeah. So I get, that's that's what my thoughts about Dr. Ian McVeigh is. <laughs> Poor Ian McVeigh. Yeah. They made me uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. It's really sad. It's scary to hear those, to hear that tape. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Echo shows up at the Malkin residence. He sees Charlotte, who's acting really weird. Hmm. Joyce rushes out, telling him to come back later. Richard Malkin, the psychic from Claire's flashbacks, comes out and makes the other two go inside. He tells Echo to go because there isn't anything to see here. His wife is crazy and his daughter just had hypothermia. He says Joyce is trying to spite him because he's make, he makes his living as a fake psychic. Echo leaves seeing Charlotte in the window. I didn't um, know you could make a whole living supporting a family being a psychic. I have some thoughts about him being a psychic, but I have a few notes ahead of that first. So I'm going to start somewhere else so the malkin their family is joyce richard and charlotte um richard is angry at joyce for involving the church i guess yeah also i looked to see the actors names uh because i thought that the daughter and the mother actually looked related yeah they yeah they did well they are not that's good casting yeah i was like impressed richard says that it was the negligence of the coroner and I'm like, um, please be nice to my friend Ian. That's the negligence of the hospital. <laughs> mm. He said that she didn't actually drown. She just had hypothermia. And he thinks that his wife is crazy religious. So she believes that it was a miracle because she wants to believe that it's a miracle. Fair enough. Is basically what he's saying. I know why you're here, friend. But you can save yourself the trouble. What happened here was not a miracle. The doctor that treated your daughter seems to feel different. <laughs> treated her? You mean tried to cut her open? He's just trying to cover up his own negligence. He tell you the whole story? How she supposedly drowned? She fell into a mountain river. Her body shut down. She went into hypothermia, which made her appear dead. And why is your wife so convinced otherwise? Because she's a zealot. All of this, everything she's doing, is to spite me. Why would she spite you? Because she knows I'm a fraud. Because I make my living as a psychic. You see, that's what I do. I gather intelligence on people and I exploit it. Every day, I meet people looking for a miracle, desperate to find one. But there are none to be had. Not in this world anyway. He says that he's a fraud, but I don't think he is. No. I think that what he's doing is trying to get Echo to leave. Yes. And that maybe he himself is the miracle. Oh. Well, wait, wait, wait. That who himself is the miracle? That Echo Rich- himself is the miracle? Uh, no, Richard, the psychic. That Richard is the miracle? Because I don't think he's a fraud. I think he's actually a psychic. Interesting. So if you go on Lostpedia and you're searching for something specific, uh, you can usually go down to where it gives you uh, a couple options. And one of the options is theories. And so you can go and read other people's theories about characters. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite theory pages is the one about Richard Malkin. Because Richard Malkin proves to us in 110 that he is a psychic. Yeah. And then in 221 tells us that he is a fraud. And so I have a lot of questions about that. And I picked out some theories on Lostpedia 
in the theory section for Richard Malkin. It doesn't give you who wrote what, so unfortunately I have no way of you giving- can't give credit. Giving credit okay. to any of these theories, um, but if you're looking for them, that's where they are. They are. There were a lot of them. Okay. Um, there were also, a lot of the points that I picked out are on the side of Richard is a psychic. Okay. There were also some other points about him not being a psychic, but I didn't find any of them compelling enough. Well, plus I think that Richard actually did prove that he is a psychic, so right. it kind of seems pointless to speculate otherwise. So here, there are, I picked out three um, theories about Richard being a psychic. Okay. okay. Uh, theory. He actually has the gift of foresight to some degree, like... We don't actually know her yet, but there you go. Yeah. Uh, and only saw glimpses that the baby is the cause for a lot of pain Claire will experience. His daughter Charlotte Malkin was uh, near death slash... Oh crap, this is really spoilery. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to use... Oh god. Good job, Slim. Yeah, what the heck was I thinking? Uh, uh, one never knows with you. This one, this one is okay. Is uh, He's actually a psychic and dissuaded Mr. Echo from pursuing the miracle investigation into his daughter's resurrection to ensure that Echo boarded the plane for Los Angeles, thereby making sure Echo would be there to help raise and even possibly baptize the baby. Uh, and then this other one, Richard Malkin tells Echo he's a fraud in order to stop the church slash Echo from investigating Charlotte's miracle. This was to protect his daughter from a media circus or, or ostracization or some other negative effect and was lying about his psychic abilities. I mean, and I think even as like a human being, because he had no way to actually prove anything that happened to Claire, he can truly believe he is a fraud. Right. Like, there's no way that he... Like, he just gets these feelings, right? Because he was so messed up by it that he was calling her constantly. Yeah. Like, it could be that he just truly believes that he's a fraud. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Are we right. keeping you up, ma'am? Yeah. <laughs> um, but Richard Malkin gets what he wants and Echo leaves. But he sees Charlotte in the window because she has a message for him. And obviously, it's probably, like, weighing on her that she, like, has to get mm -hmm. this message across, right? Yep. Um, okay, last one. Echo gets checked in for flight 815. He turns around to see that Charlotte Malkin has followed him to the airport. She says that she has a message for him from Yemi. She met him while she was in between life and death. Echo is quite shaken up at the mention of his brother. He gets a tad aggressive and Libby steps in to make sure that everything is chill. We stand. Charlotte says that Yemi's message is that Echo is a good priest and a good man and that he believes in him. Mm. I like it. Um, so the girl that checks Echo in is named Robin. And I didn't think I had a character name for me on Lost. And uh, I was really excited to see that. I'm so happy for you. My cousins all have like like quite generic names and three out of four of them have characters in Lost named after them. Okay. If anybody can find a Caitlin, I would like to know because that's just <laughs> the last one of my cousins. But they're, my cousin's names are uh, Danielle. So obviously oh, we have a Danielle. Sure. Aaron. We obviously have an Aaron. Mm -hmm. And Caitlin. Waiting for Caitlin. And Rachel. We haven't met Rachel yet, but she's here. Yeah. Still looking for a Caitlin. Didn't think I had one, but there's Robin here. It's spelled differently, but that's okay. Honestly, congratulations, because this actually probably is a big thing for you. It's exciting. Yeah. Gate 23 is where they're taking off. Mm, that seems like a number. Her having a, me a message from Yemi doesn't necessarily mean she died. What do you mean? Because she said she was in between places, so it's like... Who knows if she actually died or not? Oh, I interpret it as that she was in limbo. Yeah. So do you think, do you think a miracle occurred or no? Yes. Yes. Okay. Based on, insert spoiler here. Gotcha. Echo is getting messages from Yemi. Could be from the island. Yemi says that he was a good priest. What does this mean for Echo? Like. I think this restores his faith in everything. Right. Like, especially because Echo feels like he was the reason that Yemi died, which he kind of was. He kind of was. So the fact that he took over Yemi's place and all these things the fact that he's hearing from yemi potentially if he believes it hearing that he from. that he was a good priest yeah 
that probably means a lot to him. Yeah. Uh, he'll see Echo soon, and he has faith in Echo, which is nice. Which, of course, faith. Yes. Faith. Man of faith. Yeah. Um, uh, Libby shows up, and she's wearing a cross necklace. A cross from where? Huh? <laughs> 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 it wasn't that funny! <laughs> We've just been here for so very long. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Thanks. Stole it from Marissa Development. Right. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I right. thought you came up with Walk it on your own. <laughs> oh my god, please. I'm not funny organically. Hey, Laura. I stand Libby in this moment. Always gotta check on another one. A helpless girl. Some giant man is yelling at her. And she comes over and she says, hey, sup. Like, everything good here? And she doesn't walk away until Charlotte says it's okay for her to walk away. Yeah. Love that. That's really flippin' wholesome. It's like, it's like a reminder before Libby full-on dies that she was a really good, lovely, awesome person. And that her death is so unfair. Mm. And that Michael basically killed an innocent person. Like, we know that Charlotte right now is not in danger. Like, Echo's not going to hurt her. Mm -hmm. But I would do the same thing. I would totally walk up and be like, hey- What's going on here? I'm not even, I'm not even sure I would like have the the guts to kind of do the same thing, honestly. You think so? Whenever something like that happens and I'm not sure like which person I'm supposed to like be keeping an eye on, because like, of course, in any situation, it could be just as plausible that there's a white woman like yelling at a black man because mm-hmm. we live, yeah. mm-hmm. we live in a world. Um, So what I usually do in those situations is I'll stand by and try and get as much context as possible mm-hmm. before figuring out if it's something I need to intervene in. Not like as someone who's be like, I need to rescue someone, but like, you know, hey, do you need help? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but I do think that like really speaks to Libby's character that that was her first instinct, whether she was standing off to the side for a little bit trying to hear what was happening or whether she just immediately thought this girl could be in trouble. Yep. Either way, she's she was such a good person. Rest in peace. Do you guys think that Libby remembers this moment when she gets on the island and she meets Echo and everything like she at the very beginning of the other 48 days, she like tried to get Echo to eat and and everything like I just wonder if she remembers this moment. I mean, would you remember something so inconsequential? Maybe. Mm. I mean, it did happen like it's like that day. But then a lot of other really big thing happened after That's that. true. That's true. I like that. Like I said, really big thing. Maybe she wouldn't remember like right in the moment, but maybe it would like come to her later. Yeah. Like, it might like yeah. tug a memory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tug a memory. Sure. Sure. So are we, are we good to move on to our segments? <sighs> Let me double check. Wait, wait, who said this? I wrote down, even though you don't have faith in yourself, he has faith in you. Did Charlotte say that? Charlotte, Charlotte said that to Echo. Ah, about uh, Okay, interesting. No, I think anything else is spoilery. Okay, cool. So now it's time for segments. We're gonna first start with our best line award. Mine goes to Locke and Echo for. Are you insane? No. I'm well. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad he knows. And uh, mine also goes to Locke and Echo for. What's the axe for? I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I don't know yet. <laughs> that's that's the most ominous thing I've ever heard. What's the axe for? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, cool. <laughs> I don't know. I was told to bring it. Maybe killing you. I look forward to watching Silence of the Lambs later. (laughs) Uh, And mine goes to Echo and Locke for... Is this a river? No, it's a wavy line. Is this a river? I don't know. I think that's hilarious. Now we're going to move on to Man of Science, Man of Faith. And the person that we are focusing on for the segment this episode is Echo. I do not think that this needs a conversation. Faith. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I think the whole podcast has been this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, if I were to say something, then like, you know, we don't think that he believed in miracles in the flashbacks, 
but also he was a priest. Yeah, he was kind of a fake priest. That's true. Either way, man of faith. Yeah. Um, did they do the thing? Yes, they did the thing and they did it five times. Like multiple times. You must make him take you to the question mark. Where is the question mark? The question mark, John. Help me do what? Find the question mark. I'm gonna find your damn question mark here. How many episodes since the last knockout? Mm. Oh no, knockout. Locke got knocked out by Echo's head. Truly sad. Mm -hmm. How many episodes since the last time Jack mansplained? Or oh. Jack splained? There you go. Um, we did not feel that he Jack splained anything this episode, and therefore it has been four episodes since the last time that Jack Jack splained. Yeah, I think he used his powers for good. He didn't. He didn't Jack splain everything, but boy was he a little prick. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I should change it. How many episodes since the last Jack Splane? <laughs> Does this episode pass the Bechdel test? Not even close. Oh, uh, as usual. Nope. Is there... How, there are two women in this episode. Nope. Three. Kate. Two of them die. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Okay. There are two dead women. Kate. Yeah. And then Kate. Charlotte. Joyce. And then Charlotte and Joyce. And I think that's it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I said... Mm. Stay tuned for our segment after the outro. We'll be discussing this episode within the context of the rest of the series. Please be aware that this will be rampant with spoilers, so proceed with caution. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our music is Terminal by Good News Tunes. Uh, thank you so much to the creators and community at Lostpedia. If you are so inclined, please leave us a nice review on iTunes. We like those. Also, there's a survey that you can, it, we just always have open. You can fill out to tell us what you like about the podcast and what you think we could work on. Even if you just go on iTunes and give us the stars, I'll still be happy. Any you stars. Even, you don't even have to write anything. But it really helps because if somebody were to search Lost Podcast, it helps us get up higher in the search and then more people are listening to us yeah. so it'd be really helpful hey um if you're a fan of the hundred you like to talk about that show too we did season four season five season six season seven we will be doing it is the um final season and then we were going to be going back to do seasons one two and three which i am really pumped about because i have a lot of feelings about season two i'm glad one of us is excited <laughs> ah the good old days yeah yeah, the good old days when things made sense. I'm excited to talk about Kane and Abby in season one and mm. in season two, because I loved them. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a fan of Riverdale, we like to talk about that show too. I think we've made that pretty yes! easy this entire podcast. <laughs> um, so we've done season one, two, three. We're on season four right now. Um, oh boy. We have the most fun on that podcast, so go listen to it. <laughs> Guys, it's so good. Uh, also, it was renewed for season five. So there's going to be a season five podcast. We'll be there. It's so good. It's so good you guys i listened to the entire riverdale podcast before i ever even watched the show and it was wonderful i can't believe you did that yeah that's so much time <laughs> so much time so much time for something that made absolutely no sense it made so little sense but it was such a ride you are not the only one who's done that though quite a few people do that it's incredible highly yeah. recommend if you're a fan of Stranger Things, we'd like to talk about that show too. Um, we did all of season one, uh, long form. We did a short form podcast for all of season three as we watched it. And we are currently going through season two long form. By the time this goes up, uh, the first episode of season two will be out. So you can go and check that out. And um, yeah, we're just posting those literally throughout the entire year, uh, like every six weeks. So we're trying yeah. to real space it out throughout the entire year. <laughs> and I mean, by the time this is out, it's already out. So go listen to our Picard podcast because we're talking about Star Trek, which is my favorite topic. Thank you. It's going to be great. And if you don't know anything about Star Trek, that's okay. You can still listen to it and you can still watch Picard uh, because I'll be the person that you can relate to because I don't know anything about Star Trek either. 
And, I mean, every Star Trek is accessible, so, like, if you start and you're like, I don't know anything about Star Trek, I'm gonna watch Picard. That's fine. You can follow at the aficionados on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, Rebel, YouTube, mostly Twitter, but I do make our uh, favorite line awards into gifts on Tumblr, so please support me because I actually work really hard on it, and I also have a lot of fun. Yeah, she does. Our Patreon is patreon.com slash theaficionados. If you have a spare dollar, we would really appreciate it because these are all really expensive. Yeah, we'd really, uh, it'd be really great. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, you can follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey. That's R-O-B-Y-N-E-J-E-F-F-R-E-Y pretty much everywhere. And you can follow me on Twitter at Britannia, which is B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-A with an underscore at the end. Casey, thank you so much for joining us! Hey, queen! Thank you so much for having me. Literally, any time I love talking and hearing the sound of my own voice and also talking to you guys. That's hilarious. I love you. Tell us where we can follow you. You can follow me personally at Casey Wall. Pretty much everywhere. C-A-S-E-Y-W-A-H-L. Um, I'll make Robin put it in the description. And sure. uh, you can also uh, support me and buy my candles at Lost and Found Candle Co. on Instagram and uh, some other places. Um, and I would really appreciate it. Thanks. Awesome. The next episode is episode 222. Ooh, look at all those twos. Ooh. And the episode is called Three Minutes. And we're going to be having on my sister, Callie. I love her. For, uh, for the podcast. You guys may have heard her uh, in the 110 podcast, which oh, we, yeah. we've been talking about 110 uh, a lot this episode. Yes, we so, have. Um, that's pretty cool. And yeah, she's at Callie N. Jeffrey. Yeah. And she also does photography, so you can check oh, out her bo- Instagram. Yeah, Booster, booster Photography. Callie Nicole Photo on Instagram. Big fan. Okay, okay love you. Bye. Okay, love you. Bye. Okay, love you. Bye. Spoilers. Spoilers. Gonna talk spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers, gone talk spoilers. Um, okay, spoilers. So the first thing that we are going to do in the spoiler section is listen to a voicemail. I'm ready. Okay. Maria! We got a voicemail from our friend Maria, who is at Juliette's LaFleur. Yes. Which makes sense. Wait, we're in the spoiler section. Everybody gets it. (laughs) And she had some thoughts on something that was said uh, in the last podcast. Do yes. you want to intro that? Our lovely friend Isra was on our last podcast and she was talking about how Locke has like some selfish tendencies and um, Maria was like, hey, my boy, my Locke, my son, I need to defend him. Yeah. So this is Maria's rebuttal to Isra, but like obviously everyone knows we're all friends here and we're just talking about a show that we all enjoy. So no tea, no shade, no pink lemonade. We're all friends here. We're all good. Yeah. That was really good. Okay, here is the voicemail. I'm sure that you guys will all really like it. Hi, guys. So I was listening to the previous pod. I believe it was um, Two for the Road. And there was a small discussion going around about if Locke cared about the survivors of the of Oceanic A15 or not. And me being the John Locke apologist that I am, my brain started to gather some information and I had to um, bring up some points to prove that he in fact cared about the survivors and I even believe that he cared way more about the survivors than he ever did about the island. And here are my points. I do understand that he um, got so obsessed with the island and with his purpose and everybody's purpose and he got so into what everything meant that his motives got a bit selfish. But to me, that doesn't mean that he stopped caring. And here's why. When I tell people that John always cared, they, they say, oh, well, yeah, he cared. 
at the beginning and you know they only showed it in season one maybe season two and yes they did show that a lot in the first few seasons the first two seasons you know the first thing he does is find vincent and you know he he tells michael to tell walt that he that michael was the one who, who found vincent he was very selfless about that and right after that we see him uh helping charlie finding his guitar and the whole him uh fighting against his addiction and all that and we also see him uh, he's the one that builds the the crib for claire he's the one that asks claire if he can move his stuff to like sleep near claire as some sort of protection protection when she was uh scared of charlie he's the one that uh comforts son when he finds her when that episode of, i think it's and found maybe when he, uh, she uh yeah i think it's and found when she te uh, tears up the entire garden and he uh he helps her and he goes to her and, and gives her uh, some advice so yeah there are a lot of moments in the first two seasons where when uh we see Locke caring about how everyone's doing. But a lot of people think that that's it, right? And that he, especially in season four, that he becomes very, very... And yes, I, I, I do agree that season four is his most problematic season. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to season four for a very controversial take in just a little bit. First, I want to point out that even after season two, we see him still care about the survivors. And I think they're actually... Um, the points that I'm about to bring are way heavier and uh, more important than all the other ones that I just mentioned. And the first one that comes to my mind is in season three, at the end of uh, the brig, when when him and Sawyer come back from killing Anthony Cooper, and he says, "I'm not going back to the camp. I'm going." Locke says, "I'm not going back to the camp. I'm going on my own journey now." But here's the tape recorder, Juliet is mole. Even though he is not going to be part of the camp anymore, he takes the time he takes the time to let everybody know at the camp that Juliet is a mole. And he even gives Sawyer the tape recorder as proof. He does he did not have to do that. He was not gonna be in the camp when the others uh infiltrated. So this was all him wanting to protect the people uh on the beach. Now, this other example is one that uh really stuck with me the first time I, I i watched the show and it has stuck with me throughout and i think it's very important and it's in season five when Locke is going down the well to uh turn the wheel right before he goes he says i'm gonna bring everybody back and that's when jen goes kind of crazy and he's like oh no no no! you pr he, you need to promise me that you won't bring son back promise me and he even gives him the his wedding band as proof uh, for Locke to give to son that he that jen is in fact dead and Locke looks at Jane and says, okay, I promise. Fast forward to a few episodes after in the life and death of Jimmy Bentham, when Locke, you know, he's about to commit suicide and Ben comes in and is trying to, um, you know, uh, Locke is all upset because he, he couldn't get anybody to come back. He couldn't, he couldn't convince anybody. And Ben is like, you, ha we, you haven't even gone to Sun yet. We can, we can start there. We can talk to Sun. And, and, and Locke is... He's like, no, 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 we cannot go to Sun. I promised Jin that I would not bring her back. And that right there, to me, is proof that Locke cares more about his friends and these people than he ever did about the island. Because by him not going to Sun, that's... Okay, when he went down the well, Christian told him that everybody had to go back. That every, every everybody had to come back. And that he had to get every single one of them. Yet, 
Because of the promise that he made Jim, he didn't even go to Sun. The thought of going to Sun to try to convince her to come back probably didn't even cross his mind because he promised Jim that he wouldn't do that. So his risking whatever he thinks that this purpose is or whatever his connection with the island is, he is risking that just to keep Jin's promise. And another example that is around the same thing in that same episode he goes and visits Walt and he talks to Walt and he he has they, they have like this really nice conversation and, and some uh, closure and the guy that's uh that's basically pushing Locke around I forgot what his, what his name is he's like you're not gonna tell him you're not gonna convince him to go back and Locke says something uh along the lines of the, that kid's been through too much like he's he's been through a lot so again he's risking his connection with the island and everything literally everything that he's been so obsessed with he's risking it by not bringing walt back and not bringing son back but he knows that it's the right thing to do that's proof to me that he would protect those people over the island and over again whatever he's trying to accomplish i think those are the main examples that i bring i have another one again i, I mentioned that i have a take about something he does in season four that is very controversial but i'm gonna bring it up anyway him killing naomi i always say that it's self-defense a lot of people disagree with me the majority disagrees with me but i will stand by it why everybody is warning them that those people are not who they say they are Locke generally believes that those people are dangerous. So him killing Naomi, in a way, is some, so, is some sort of self-defense because in his head, he's protecting these people, his friends, from being in danger. Now, I understand that his morals and his ethics and the way he does things are very, very um, problematic and not the right way to do things. But his end game, like he's at his core, what he's trying to do is protect everyone. And at the end of the day, he was right. Those people were not who they said they were, and they were working for Whitmore. So was him killing Naomi that big of a deal, like that bad of a thing? I don't know. I kind of I can see that as some sort of uh, self-defense. So that's pretty much it. Those are all my points. I'm pretty sure that there are more examples. Um, I just cannot think of any of them right now. To me, the most important one is the Jin one. Him keeping keeping that promise to Jin to not bring Son back because he just he knew how important it was for every one of them to come back, and yet he kept the promise and he risked everything by not going to Son. And uh, he didn't even give her the ring. the The ring. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if it was because maybe he already knew that Son thought he, Jin was dead, so he didn't think it was worth it. But then again, he Son had no idea that John had left the island because he never went to her. So yeah, that's it. If I think of anything else, I'll, I'll bring it up. Bye-bye. I, first of all, love Maria with my whole heart yep. because this is exactly what I would do if somebody like... <laughs> said a word against your favorite character. If, if, so, if someone was like, hey, your favorite character did this, and I'd be like, I know, but hey! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here are all the reasons why that's not true. Get out of here with your facts, okay? Yeah, like, literally, it's like if someone like said something about Abby Griffin on the 100. I'd be like, here's a Twitter thread of all the reasons that I disagree. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's okay. Yeah. Because we all are having actually a really informed discussion on Locke. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that I genuinely see both sides. Yeah. Like, oh, I, yeah. you know, some people are like, I see both sides. I'm not taking sides. No, I genuinely do see both sides. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you so much to Maria for sending in her thoughts. If you guys have thoughts, um, feel free to also send us uh, your thoughts. 
Yeah. Uh, our email, so eloquent. thank you. Our email is aficionadospodcast at gmail.com. So you can write long emails if you want to. You can send voicemails. We'd love it. And, uh, you know, our Twitter DMs are open. Our Instagram DMs are open. Our Tumblr DMs are open. They like, sure are. You, you, there are many ways to get a hold of us if you have thoughts on any of our podcasts. So thank you to Maria for sending us something. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from anybody. So we're going to go into the uh, spoilers section now. I'm going to start with flashbacks because I want to talk about Richard Malkin. I would love to hear about it. Okay, so this is the other um, theory that they had about uh, him being an actual psychic. Uh, He actually has the gift of foresight to some degree like Eloise Hawking and only saw glimpses that the baby is the cause for a lot of pain Claire will experience. His daughter, Charlotte Malkin, was was near death slash actually died when Jacob saved her in exchange for Claire getting on flight 815 and dissuading Mr. Echo from investigating her death. Claire most likely raised Aaron with her mother and Kate following the events of the finale, just like Richard Malkin wanted. So this one says that Jacob saved his daughter in exchange for getting Claire on the flight, which is interesting. That's, um, interesting. Big Jacob move. Like, there's huge there's, Jacob move. There isn't really anything to, like, say that that happened. Like, that maybe is just putting too much thought into Richard Malkin. Yeah, you can't, like, prove or disprove it, so you're just kind of like, okay. But interesting. Um, other flashback thoughts that I had, or, uh, spoiler thoughts that I had for the flashbacks. Uh, Echo finds himself in Australia, uh, in, I believe, The Cost of Living, which is the final Echo Echo episode. Mm -hmm. Episode. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Episode, if you will. Episode. We learn that Yemi had a thing in London that he was going to go to. And Echo says that he... Was this at the end of 23rd Song? I don't think so. Anyway, Echo says that he's going to go to London for Yemi and do like this like priest thing. Yes. Basically. And so that's kind of how he became an actual priest. And so I just wanted to say that this is not that because this is happening in Australia and not London. Yeah. Okay. Was the miracles timing the work of Jacob? Because he's going to get on a plane, right? Yeah. And his plane gets postponed because of this miracle. Oh. And that's oh, why he can get right. on the other plane. Duh, of course. Yep. So maybe so, a little bit, yep, a little yeah. bit of Jacob in there. So I also think that uh, it's interesting they don't give you, like, any more details about, like, the circumstances of Charlotte's, like, yeah. near death. Like, it's just like, oh, she she slipped and drowned and she was dead for a while. Right, like, where? Where was she? Clearly outside. Yeah. Like, show me where. Yeah. Also, like, hypothermia in Australia? Sounds fake, but okay. Yeah, but it... Then it's it's probably the water then. Like right. the, it's probably water then. <laughs> Shut up, Brittany. Um the ocean. Right. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um there is another character named Charlotte later. Why choose oh, yeah. why choose to use that name again? Also a character named Richard. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I was trying to make that make sense the Charlotte thing, because when she first said her name uh, when they first said her name was Charlotte, I was like <gasps> oh my god, is it Charlotte reincarnated? Is it like an earlier version of Charlotte? I'm like, no, Casey, literally none of that makes any sense. Shut up. Hey, you gave it a shot. I did. I tried. Okay, so what I was going to, I was looking up um, C.S. Lewis because uh, the Charlotte that we meet in season four is named uh, after C.S. Lewis. Okay. Mm -hmm. Who's, like, the S stands for Staples. And so Charlotte's name is Charlotte Staples Lewis, right? Okay. And so I thought maybe they named this character Charlotte, but they had to name the other character Charlotte because C.S. Lewis stands for Charles Staples Lewis, right? And so they were like, oh, it has to be Charlotte. Of course. Uh, but the C stands for Clive. So now oh. I so now I don't know. <laughs> so That's so, so sad. So now I'm out. I'm I'm out of theory again. So I yeah, I'm the not C sure why they. C stands for Clive. <laughs> so now I'm not sure. 
I don't know what to do about that. Uh, but Richard, obviously, like Richard is a more common name than Charlotte is. Like Charlotte is also pretty common, but not yeah. as common as Richard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Do you guys want to do spoilers for Echo or for the stuff in the hatch first? I don't actually know how much I have for each of those. <laughs> like, uh, Echo? I don't know. Okay. What do you have for the hatch? Let me see. Um, nothing there, nothing there, nothing there. <laughs> Probably just some Michael stuff. Should we just do that first? Oh, yeah. Pff, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes. Let's do the hatch. Um, looking. Oh, wow. I don't have anything for the hatch. I'm glad that you didn't choose Echo first. Um, <laughs> mostly just like the Michael stuff. The fact that we're spending this whole episode wondering what Michael's freaking motive was. Yeah. Like, what What was he possibly thinking? And um, next episode is when we kind of learn that. I mean, we kind of, we, you we know it's about always Walt. Infer, it's always going to be about Walt. We know it's about Walt, yeah. especially because, like, the last shot in the episode after we see Michael is, like, of the computer screen, which is where mm-hmm. he was talking to oh, Walt. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I think it's also kind of... There's a lot of things you can infer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's important that they do show his motive like immediately yes after this episode uh like a lot of shows and even this shows sometimes will not show you like the background to something that happens until like episodes later even seasons later the hundred (laughs) so i think it is kind of like really important that they immediately show what was going on with michael because i kind of think that's sort of the only reason why not the only reason, but I think that plays a big part into whether or not people can um, choose to, like, forgive him for what he did or not. Yeah. I don't know. I just, I worry about the kind of uh, criticism he would have, like, faced or his character would have faced if we went on much longer without really understanding what he was thinking. Well, and you kind of see that in Stranger Things, too, where they decide to do something really big and then they take a break from the main story. And Mm -hmm. I think... Like, even in streaming, that's a detriment to your audience because it it's kind of doing something in bad faith because you know that your audience is going to react to something negatively. So if you take that break and you don't explain immediately why something has happened that is that severe, you can... And I, I think this did happen with Michael, even though, you know, they did immediately explain oh, yeah. it. It kind of ruined the character for the entire show. Well, that definitely makes sense. And it, especially with binge culture now, it, like, doesn't matter as much. But for your diehard like fans who are watching week to week Mm. Mm -hmm. like if you're binging a show and it takes five episodes you're like okay you know like i'm binging it whatever i can do that in one night and then i already know what happens but Mm -hmm. we're even now we're already starting to shift away from binge culture because it's just too much now yeah like even disney plus is starting to give us things like the mandalorian came out weekly and i think that's why it became a phenomenon so so did high school musical Musical series But yeah, so I think that even though with binge culture, you're like, okay, well, I can, I'm, I'm going to pump this through in like one night, but your people who are watching week to week, that's five weeks of not knowing any answers. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what else is going on in my mind at this time? You know? Yep. All right. Uh, Moving on to Echo. Uh, The church that he's building is for Yemi. We've talked about this quite a bit in the spoiler sections, but um, in Cost of Living, Echo gets... He, like, um, kills a bunch of people inside Yemi's church, and uh, the woman says, you owe owe Yemi a church, basically. And so he is building him that church. All right, here's the big question of the episode. Who gives out the visions? What is their motive, especially in this episode? Jacob. 
Yeah, my thought was, okay, no, but then I had a counterpoint because when Locke was having the dream, I could have sworn, even after I found out it was a dream, I just assumed it was the man in black. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because it's like a dead person come back to life, which is like MIB's thing. But it's also like, why would Jacob go to the trouble of doing it? I guess to put Locke's faith to the test. Yeah, like, it's, yeah, it's, like that's the right. sucky thing is that it's just like, even though it's all about Yekko, 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 <laughs> sorry, that's Yemi and Echo's friendship. Even though it's all about Echo, it's still about Locke. It's always, <laughs> oh yeah. Like, Locke's one of the main characters. He's like the, one of the main characters. So like, okay. But also, yeah. yeah. So it's like, what is the, okay, so let's say it's Jacob. What makes us think it's Jacob? Without anything to, ha- to make us think that it's MIB. It's Jacob. What's our evidence? I would justify the fact that it's Jacob by suggesting that I kind of think that Jacob and MIB have like two different forms of two different ways of influencing people and influencing like the people on the island. And it seems to be that MIB's primary way is taking over the body of someone who died on the who's dead on the island mm-hmm. and Jacob's primary way seems to be with the exception of some later stuff it seems to be through like dreams and mm. that's a good point and and more like subtle interactions i guess more uh more more or less less uh overt right yeah if you know what I'm yeah that saying. that's interesting Bringing it back to one of my favorite conversations that we have had on this podcast is uh, in Abandoned, the episode that we had Maria on, and we had a whole conversation about whether that vision of Locke, or not Locke, Walt, was Jacob or MIB. Yes! And, like, you saying that, it's like, I still don't know. No. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, was it a subtle vision? Yeah. But also, like, could it have been MIB because it was, like, in real life and not in a dream? Yeah. Yep. So it's like... Who, who, who knows who's to say. But in terms of, like, how they manifest, I'd say that MIB's main goal, first of all, is to blow up and then act like he don't know nobody. Mm-hmm. But also to traumatize. Ah. You know, like, when whenever he appears, he scares the crap out of people because he's appearing as someone who's dead. Mm-hmm. Whereas it seems that Jacob, you know, even though the side effect of what he does is a little traumatic, usually it's to try and guide someone somewhere that mm-hmm. only he can see. And I feel like this definitely fits into that category. Yeah, like, when we get Anna Lucia in the dream, like, Anna Lucia is never, like, MIB never takes over Anna Lucia's body. Yeah. And he never takes over Libby's body. Michael, in, like, Meet Kevin Johnson, has, like, a dream of Libby, like, a nightmare of Libby, but that's not, like, I don't think that's part of this. Like, I think that's just, like, a traumatic nightmare because you killed this woman. Yeah, that, um, that's not, Yeah, no. But MIB never takes over either of their bodies, first of all, because, like, um, I don't know, uh, Michelle Rodriguez doesn't want to be here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anymore, I guess. yeah, she was like, uh, I'm, I'm good, love. Yeah. Right. But, I gotta go do Fast and the Furious. Yeah, and he, ne- and he never takes over Echo's body either because Adewale doesn't want to be here. Um, but it's interesting that, yeah, okay, so yeah, I, be- I I guess I'm with you because the, I think what we really need to look at to decide whether it's Jacob or MIB is what the motive is and what the goal is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately the goal is good. Yeah. I, or, or the, not even that the goal is good, but that the goal furthers Jacob's plot for all of mm-hmm. them. Right. So it's like, I need them to find the hatch because I need to push, like, it's almost like Jacob is you know the mighty pen in a lot of ways like he represents the writers he's like i need to do this to push them along into a new plot yeah jacob is a good 
excuse for that. Exactly. <laughs> but, like, in a genius way. That's kind of, like, yeah, I was just going to say, that's kind of genius, like, yeah, for the writers to always kind of, like, have that in their backpack. Backpack it? Back- <laughs> backpack it. In their back pocket, like, how can we make this make sense? Oh, Jacob. But literally like, everything is too convenient. It was Jacob. But literally, like Exactly. Not in an annoying way where like it doesn't mm-hmm. have a reason, it's, like in a way that makes yeah. complete sense with the logic that the show has set up. It's mm. not like a duex machina, right? Like it's more I I will always it's machina, isn't it? Yep. I, Deus ex. <laughs> I will always butcher that phrase and I don't care. Anyway. <laughs> um But like it, it's not so much like you don't get frustrated when they do that because at the end of the day, you know that like it was Jacob being a dick mm. that a lot of this happened. And so, like, when you have an explanation that's not, like, God, like, Jacob is a flawed man. Mm-hmm. And you can sort of be, okay, he did this because, oh, he's a dickhead and that's why he did that. He was bored. He wanted Locke to find the hatch. Yeah, like, we get all throughout the se- series, starting in season three, which is when they actually start talking about Jacob. But we get Jacob is the good guy. And nobody really knows about MIB. They just consider him the monster slash, like, everybody gets, like, visions of people who died. Mm -hmm. Um, But Jacob is supposed to be, like, this almighty, incredible person. But, like, ultimately, I think the, the conclusion that you're supposed to get to is that Jacob's not a very good man, but neither is MIB. And nobody's perfect. Yeah, like... You're not, of course, it's always the light and dark and stuff, but the whole point is that when they meet in the middle, they're the gray. Mm -hmm. Like, Jacob thinks of himself very much the way Locke thinks of himself, which is sort of like someone who is very important and all-knowing, but they're actually just flawed men. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. I agree. I think it was Jacob. Yeah. And now we can move on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it was a good observation. Yeah. Good talk, guys. Yeah. Great stuff. Then the next thing I had was just that, um, I think it's, Echo says that now we wait for further instructions. Um... (gasps) It's an episode title. Wait, is that an episode would you like, name? Yeah, would you like to talk about it, Casey? You seem to... You're with me, I think. Um, no, just when I heard it, I was like, it's an episode title. I forget what happens. Yes, it is an episode title. Um, it's the episode that uh, we actually don't like. It's uh, probably one of my least favorite episodes. What happens um, in it? It's the beginning of season three, and Locke goes into the sweat lodge because he can't talk for some reason. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he gets, like, visions of... That's why I think it's cool that they say further instructions because they're talking about, like, dreams and visions. And in further instructions... It's all about dreams and, and visions. And, and the title is a reference to this line, potentially. Yeah. Genius. That that he's literally getting the further instructions that they were talking about. Yeah. Which I think is kind of cool. Oh boy, I have so many Nikki and Paolo thoughts. How did this come back to Nikki and Paolo? I was so confused for like half this episode because I was, no, I wasn't confused. I was thinking of things to say on the podcast. And then I was like, hold up. Expose hasn't happened yet. We don't mm-hmm. know who Nikki and Paolo even are. Yeah. So I had to scratch a bunch of thoughts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can talk about them now. I mean, now you yeah. can share them. Would you like to? Huh? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hero. So, um, I don't have much to say about Nikki and Paolo. Nikki and Paolo find the pearl before the plane even lands on it. They find it and they're going to go in. But then Nikki's like, um, I got other things to do. And I'm not out here trying to like climb down this creepy like basement thing. And, okay. pa- and you know what? Fair. So, yeah, that's what happens there. And then Paolo comes back and he hides the diamonds in the toilet of the Pearl. Uh, and then that's when he sees 
Juliet and Ben. So Juliet and Ben have been there recently, but neither of them had the cigarette, so I don't know where the cigarette came from. Okay. Then Paolo leaves, and then later in season three, comes back with a bunch of them, and then they all go in the pearl, and then it's revealed in expose that he, like, went and grabbed the the diamonds again and and such. Either way, Nikki and Paolo been here first. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They watched the footlock would run. Then we get these spoilers about the pearl in which... I believe it's the beginning of the finale where uh, we learned that the swan in itself was also an experiment because all of those notebooks, the pearl, just go to it. Did I say that? What did I say? You said the, the swan. swan. Oh, yeah. The pearl in itself was also an experiment because all of the notebooks go to nowhere. Oh, right. Um. So it's like, what's... That was kind of a bummer when I first watched it. I was hoping yeah. it would go somewhere cool, like a secret lab or something. I don't know. I went um, onto the pearls page when I, when I was trying to figure out what the um, what that thing on the table was. And apparently the cigarette was also there when Paolo was there. So it's been there for, like, a while. Okay. Which kind of makes sense because, yeah. Have the others been using the pearl? Yes. Um, They grab all of the, like, login sheets, all the papers, because Desmond sees it in the finale to be able to say, (gasps) I think I crashed your plane. I think I crashed your plane. That's where he gets that paper. Love that. Three weeks observing the psychological experiment. Turns out that this is the experiment. Is someone watching them in the pearl? That's what I always assumed. Like, potentially Mikhail, which is the other thing that they see in the pearl. I genuinely always assumed that it was, like, sort of like um, an Ouroboros. Just, like, a constantly interconnected. They're all watching each other. Mm-hmm. But they don't even know it. Okay, now I want to talk about the Paula Ferry. So on at the Paula Ferry, um, which I talked about before, this is the dock that Michael takes them all to, in which they meet the others for the first time, mm-hmm. where Michael gets the little boat and he and Walt sail off. The it's the boat. dock where um, Saeed, Sun, and Jin sail up at the beginning of season three as well. Yep. It's where the, if I remember... Mm, is it a different dock? I'm not sure. It's potentially where the submarine comes up and down. The Paula Ferry dock is important. Okay. So you guys remember when I talked about Pierre Chang having a prosthetic hand? Yes. Yep. And I was like freaked out because I was like, oh my gosh, I figured it out that he has a prosthetic because he got his arm cut under, like, like caught underneath the thing at the incident. Yes. So... Pierre Chang does not have the prosthetic hand in the orientation film, which is dated 1980. So he had his hand then. He sustained that injury in 1977, as shown in the incidents parts one and two, and has the prosthetic in the Swan orientation film, which is also from 1980. It is, however, possible that the Pearl orientation film was filmed before July 1977 and was not copyrighted until 1980. I want to go with that. Yeah, that seems easier because, like, my brain went, oh, like, alternate timeline. Then I was like, no, that can't be right. Yeah, let's just go with, hey, it was filmed before. So he filmed the Pearl Station before the incident, but filmed the Swan Orientation after the incident. (laughs) Gotcha. Sure. I guess. Sure. Okay. That's it. That's all I got. That's a, this is one, honestly, I always find that our spoiler sections, like, are sometimes quite short. Yeah, you think they're going to be longer than they ever are. Yeah. yeah. But um, this one was good, and I really liked it and appreciated it. Same. So thanks for hanging out with me. Uh, Brittany paid me. Oh. True, I did. You never pay me. Um, awkward. I need a raise. Sorry, man. Anyway, thanks, Casey, for coming on the pod. Thank you What's your so salary? <laughs> like, let me like know. To know. I need to know what I should charge. <laughs> Not enough. Um, do you want to tell us one more time where we can find you slash um, plug your business? Yes, you can find me at Casey Wall, Party Watch Everywhere. You can find my candles at Lost and Found Candle Co. Uh, buy some candles, please, please, please. That would be great. 
including a lost candle. It's called We Have to Go Back, and we can say that in the spoiler section. It's called We Have to Go Back. Oh, yeah. And great. I haven't smelled it yet, but by the time this comes out, I will have smelled it, and I'm sure it's great. I'm so excited. I've smelled it. It smells really good, if I do say so myself. And it's a really pretty color, and it's a really pretty, uh, like, like art on it. I, I just I love it so much. I'm so talented. Thank you. Art on it. <laughs> no. Describes own art. <laughs> art on it. You can anyway. follow me personally at Robin E. Jeffrey. That's R-O-B-Y-N-E-J-E-F-F-R-E-Y pretty much everywhere. You can follow me on Twitter at Britannia, which is B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-A with an underscore at the end. And you can follow at the aficionados pretty much everywhere, mostly Twitter and Tumblr. Yes. You switched it up. Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, Rebubble, YouTube, but mostly Twitter. Well, I just said that, so that's why I teamed. <laughs> okay. Okay, and our Patreon is patreon.com slash theaficionados. Again, if you have a spare dollar, we'd really appreciate it because this is expensive. Please consider helping us. Please uh, help us. We're poor. If you enjoy our podcast, which we hope you do. I have heard nice things about it. Yeah. And I appreciate yeah. the nice things that yeah. I hear. Yeah. Yes. And if you can't donate for any reason, that's totally okay. Uh, feel free to just um, recommend us to a friend. Yeah. Like if someone's like, hey, I'm looking for podcasts. You're like, hey, here you go. Or even if you just... Even if someone isn't looking for a podcast, just tell them anyway. <laughs> or or even if somebody's like, hey, did you see the newest episode of Riverdale? I have so many thoughts on it. And you'd be like, hey, let's both listen to this podcast about it. They're going to celebrate it and also dunk on it. It's going to be great. Yeah. Or if you're like, hey, if you're watching Lost for the first time, you can watch, the, you can, you can listen to this podcast also because a lot of people think that it's confusing. I tell everyone about this podcast all the time when I talk about Lost. Thanks. You're an angel. Now since, now since I finished the series, I am a self-proclaimed Lost law stand, avid defender of the finale mm-hmm. same um and anytime someone makes me go off about it i talk about how my friends Brittany and robin have this really great podcast about it so you have literally no excuse to tell me it's too confusing for you because um they will explain <laughs> everything thanks you're an angel i mean i i genuinely think that's helpful because a yeah. lot of people think that it's too confusing and it's first of all because they're not paying enough attention like uh, if, if you're folding... Literally, like, no, duh, it's gonna be confusing if you're just looking at your phone the whole time. <laughs> exactly. So that's why, like, if you have to look at your phone the whole time... Me. Brittany's looking at her phone right now, just to be clear. Um, then we're here to make sure you didn't miss anything. That's important. Okay, so yeah, thank you so much for listening. We have really enjoyed talking to you. Casey, we're gonna have you again next season, and I can't wait. I'm so excited! I'm so excited hey, for the episode, too. I can't wait to see you in a week and one day. Oh, I'm so excited! Oh my god, literally! Like, less than a week and a day! Like, a week and a couple hours! Ah, ah, I'm so excited! I'm so excited! <laughs> okay, love you, bye! Oh, and uh, catch- Wait! I just yeah, want to uh, plug that I'll be on the Riverdale pod. Thanks! Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! That's gonna be so fun! Oh my gosh, I'm it's so gonna excited. be so long! <laughs> I love that dumpster fire. It'll be so fun, I'm excited. Okay, love you, bye! Okay, love you, bye! Okay, love you, bye! I'm glad you're okay, man.